Hey everyone. Before we start the show today, it is with great sadness that we must once again report on the passing of several individuals who were a big part and left a big impact in the anime and manga industries. We will start by paying our respects to Takako Sasuga, a veteran voice actress in anime who played, among many characters, the character of Torao Fuguta in Sazai-san for over 50 years. For as long as that series has been running since it began, she had been playing that character for over 50 years. And her last episode voicing that character will air on February 26th. So that's an incredible legacy to be able to play a character that long. That's quite shocking. And, you know, there's several other characters that she's played from many classic anime and some modern anime. Like one of her major modern roles is the character Monomi in Danganronpa. But she was also Hajime in Tensai Bakaban, Hatabo in Ozumatsu-kun, Twink in Princess Knight. She was a really veteran voice actress who played a lot of characters, but definitely her character in Sazai-san was her longest and for, I'm sure, many her most beloved and well-known. She passed away just earlier this month at the age of 87, so she lived, you know, a long life, but still, it is really sad to lose someone who has been a part of the anime world, and for many fans, particularly in Japan, or Sasa-san is like just a staple of Japanese television, just a voice that people had heard for decades is now no longer going to be heard, or at least no longer going to be heard in new ways. But, I mean, she's left behind, of course, like decades of work and her performances to revisit, which is an incredible legacy. But nonetheless, it's very, very sad to lose a veteran actress. And he offer condolences to her family, the staff, other cast members of Sasa-san, her fans, all of those who have heard her voice and been touched by her work. And sadly... She is not the only person that has passed away recently. And even more tragically, some people who have quite younger passed away recently. William Ruzica, who was a storyboard artist and animation director in the American animation industry, working on anime-adjacent projects, Crunchyroll originals like High Guardian Spice and Onyx Equinox, but also working on many series like Invincible, Blood of Zeus, Star Trek Lower Decks, Kung Fu Panda, The Dragonite, and some Warner DTV films like Scooby-Doo, The Sword and the Scoob, and Wonder Woman Bloodlines. Wazika passed away on February 1st and seems to have been passed away after having dealing with breathing difficulties for some time and passing out as he was trying to get to urgent care. A GoFundMe campaign has been raised to raise money for a life memorial event for Wazika, scheduled for March. And this money raised through this GoFundMe campaign will go to cover the memorial venue and the service of the memorial and all other related expenses to Rizika's memorial and funeral. And then excess funds in Rizika's names are going to be donated to a charity revealed later. The goal of the GoFundMe was $35,000. It is currently raised a little over $14,000 at the time of this recording. 
So they have a ways to go to reach their goal. And we will link this GoFundMe in our show notes. And we strongly encourage you to give support if you can. If you were a fan of Rosica's works, the help and tribute to. It is just so sad to lose such a talented artist at such a young age and so suddenly. It is also a great sadness to report on the loss of someone who I think you can generally say changed anime fandom in a huge way, in a way that is like felt to this day. James Kapostas, a longtime staffer at Otakon, and the person who was recognized or has been acknowledged as the first person in the U.S. anime fandom as the first person to create an A and V has passed away. James Kapostas made what is considered the first A and V back in 1982 at the age of 21, just a college student. He hooked up two VCRs to each other. You've seen some Yamato sync to the Beatles song, All You Need Is Love, and that was it. That small fan-made project, just setting a Beatles song to anime, just inspired a whole genre of expression in fandom. The AMV, which has just evolved and expanded over the years thanks to the ability to edit on personal computers to be able to download anime files and videos so easily. But from those very analog days of just like recording VCRs against each other and then syncing it to music, just from that... Like such a huge part of anime fandom, something that is a staple of so many cons, AMV contest, something that is just a huge community of expression online, was innovated by James. And truly, I think that indelible mark he left on fandom is truly, it's truly a defining part of anime fandom. It's something that is just going to be an immortal part of the fandom experience. And he was the innovator of it. And it just was a hobby of his to practice editing. And it just caught on like wildfire to be something that so many people love doing themselves and love sharing with each other, are bonded over. A whole community has been built around within the anime fandom and community. Stories of how Kapustas created the first known AMV has been shared before on his Facebook page and Helen McCarty shared it on her Twitter. He's given interviews to the Japan Times, AnimeCons.com, and Anime World Order. And yeah, you can also watch many of his AMVs still on his YouTube channel. And that legacy that he left behind that mark he left on fandom is just truly permanent and a way that is just like just so it's just so hard to imagine anime fandom without AMVs and it's just it's really sad to have the person who innovated that who popularized that pass away as well as someone who really was such an integral part of like growing Otakon, one of the biggest and most well-known cons and hubs for anime fandom communities in North America. He was a staffer at Otakon in all sorts of positions for more than 20 years, over two decades. So he left an incredible indelible mark on the community and fan culture in that way as well, because Otakon is even among all the anime cons, it is a anime fans con, and you really feel the community experience there. 
it is just with heavy sadness that we must part ways with Kapastas to hear that him pass away and we just wanted to pay our respects to him and thank him for the work he's done the mark he has left on anime fandom and you know the community he helped bring together and inspire to this day and forevermore and to Kapastas and to Rizuka and to Sasuka once again we pay our condolences to their families, their friends, their fans, and just want to dedicate a moment of silence to honor their memory and their legacy. This is the Manga Mavericks Podcast, episode 224. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Lam Ramayasha. And today we have another roundup of new additions to various manga apps, as well as new simulpups. Not all of these series that we're going to talk about today are simulpumps, so I wanted to make that distinction, but there are a lot of titles that we're going to be highlighting on today's episode from a lot of different places, a lot of different apps and sites. Ozki, Comic Key, MangaMo, Manga Plus, and Shonen Jump. And Crunchyroll. And Crunchyroll. So a huge variety of different places and a huge variety of different series that we'll be discussing on today's episode. And it's going to be fun to have kind of such an eclectic bunch of series from a lot of different places to talk about. Yeah, a lot of these series kind of run the gamut in terms of like, you know, variety and such. Like, we have a lot of very interesting titles to talk about on this episode. Uh, But before we get on to those, we do need to talk about one or two things at the top of the show. One of those first things is another patron shout-out. That's right. Since the last time we recorded, we have gotten a new patron who has signed up to our Patreon at patreon.com slash mavericks. Remember, if you sign up for any tier, for any amount, you will get a shout-out on the show basically the next time we have to record a podcast after you sign up. And so we want to shout-out Michael, who recently signed up for our Patreon, and we really want to thank them for their patronage. Thank you very much, Michael. We really appreciate it. And I, I believe that they signed up in particular to listen to our Shonen Jump retrospective that we put out recently. So uh, we really hope you enjoyed listening to that. Remember, once again, people who sign up for at least a dollar on our Patreon can also listen to that. Once again, it is a three-hour podcast that we do basically every year with our good friend Maxi Bernard, where we talk about, you know, our thoughts on everything running in Shonen Jump at the end of the year. It's always very fun. Please go listen to that if you have a dollar to spare. Really getting your bang for your buck listening to that. But anyway, yes, uh, once again, thank you, Michael, for signing up. We really appreciate your patronage. And uh, yeah. Yeah. And thank you so much, Michael. Again, your support really helps us 
us out. It helps us put some resources back into the show to pay for some of our costs. And it really means a lot to us to have your support and listenership. So thank you so much. For sure. Once again, if you sign up for any amount on our Patreon, you too will get a shout out on our show. So if you really want to hear us sing your praises and thank you uh, a million times over for supporting us, go on to do that. Once again, patreon.com slash mavericks. That's where you can sign up if you're interested. And then I think, Lum, we have one more thing to talk about if you want to go ahead and talk about that a little bit. We just wanted to remind everyone that the Manga Mavericks survey for this year is still active until the end of February. So if you have not had a chance to fill out the survey, please do let us know your favorite episodes, guests, moments, and more from our podcast in 2022. And you'll be entered for a chance to win a free manga from our prize pool that runs the gamut of series that we've covered before on the show to some newer releases to some maybe harder to find titles and a huge selection of classic North American Shonen Jump volumes. So we definitely have a lot to give away, but we also just really would appreciate hearing from you guys about what you enjoy about the show, what you would like to see from us going forward in 2023 beyond. Your feedback really helps us out, and we'd like to give back to you guys for your feedbacks through our giveaway. So definitely take the survey. It'll probably close at the end of this month maybe a slight extension to the first couple days of March, but don't wait on it. Definitely get your responses in there now and get entered into our giveaway. And yeah, we're looking forward to hearing your guys' thoughts on the show and your suggestions and recommendations for like to the, you'd like to see from us this year. And yeah, we're also looking forward to seeing what prizes you pick uh, if you're a giveaway winner too. For sure. Uh, once again, we will be leaving the link to our survey in the show notes for this episode. And you know what? If you want more specific updates about when our survey will be ending for sure please follow us on twitter at manga underscore mavericks for all the latest updates on that and just the podcast in general just in case we don't get a chance to mention it on the show you definitely want to follow us on twitter just to kind of keep an eye out for that and to see like oh how much time do i have left to take the survey so once again at manga underscore mavericks on twitter follow us there for the latest updates and then you know what lum uh since this is a cyber pubs episode we do have like a bit of news concerning you know, additions to other subscription services if you want to talk about those for a little bit. Yeah, we thought it would be worth mentioning since we were talking about manga apps and platforms anyway, some news relevant to them in terms of other new additions. For example, Oski, which we'll be talking about a new series for them in a moment, they've also added six one-shot manga by Shihara Shin Agawa and some manga from Yusuke Momoi. So there's three manga from Shihara Shin Agawa and then three from Yusuke Momoi. These titles uh, include from Shinagawa, The Western Magic Hall, which is a 35-page story about a magical girl. It's a sequel to a previous one-shot called The Western Magic Hall Ambiguity. There's also Spear, a 33-page comedy about a high school boy who takes up spear fishing to impress a girl. And Zhang Jionden, a 41-page historical action story about a righteous samurai who saves a starving village from greedy tax collectors. Kind of like Seven Samurai, except just one samurai. 
And then the following one-shot manga are Yusuke Mamoi, and they include Lush, which is a 33-page story about fatherhood, Sacrifice, and Fear. The Sunset of Silver, a 29-page story about an aging father coming to terms with his age and his relationship with his family, and Springstorm, a 25-page story about a high school girl who is in love with her straight best friend. So a little bit of Yuri for you in that last one as well, which I definitely am keen to check out. I have not gotten a chance to read these one shots yet. Perhaps if we do like kind of a one shot spotlight later on, we can take a look at some of these because they definitely sound very interesting. But I'm just really excited to see Asuka continue to offer more one shots and more titles from different publishers. These titles come from Kira Kira Media. So yeah, Asuka continuing to expand your partnerships, whatever companies expand editions of their catalogs with some really unique manga titles and i'm looking forward to checking these out when i get the chance to for other new editions to keep an eye on manga up has offered four new series on their app recently these include mechanical buddy universe by takoji kato this is about an android that you know fulfilled its mission and a child that was abandoned in the ruins of old city they kind of come across each other on a rainy day and become a found family and grow older and as they grow older they come across other unusual pairings so kind of a traveling found family story so it sounds very sweet and also probably has an element of action back with one of the main characters being an android and all and androids being in this universe key arc looks really nice so definitely one to keep an eye on the next title is I Was Called Inept at Home, but it turns out I am super adept compared to the rest of the world. That comes from Kimimaru, Masashi, Suzuki, and Mokyo. This is about a guy called Noah who is raised by exceptionally capable older sisters. So he leaves his home to nearby city to be an adventurer. But every time he performs, he shocks those who went to sin with wonder because like, they're like, whoa, wait. Am I really strong? And, you know, he shouldn't be surprised by his abilities because his five older sisters that raised him are like the world's greatest in their respective fields. So he has unbelievable potential because he got trained by his five sisters who are like all strong and the best in various areas. So he begins a shining new life, getting acknowledgement. But now his sisters are chasing after him. And so this guy who is supposed to be inept is actually a super rookie and he begins his life as an adventurer probably with his sisters based on the key art but basically this guy because he was raised by sisters who all have their own specialties he's kind of an all-rounder because he learned from all of them so that's kind of an interesting angle and i like that it's is like you know in addition to our main lead like also five really cool female co-leads and his sister so another one that has me intrigued to look into then we've got, I'm glad they kicked me from the hero's party, but why are you following me, great Satis? This comes from Renji Hatsueda, Kaichi Shibano, and Pinko Kurimoto. This was about a guy who was really ridden off as useless and driven out of the hero's party he'd been traveling with. But his true strength is his unlimited use of extant skills, which is a power that was bestowed upon him by God. And it's God's will that he used those skills to back up the hero's party. But, you know, freed from that duty, he just goes where the winds take him and runs into some surprising people and unexpected things along the way. So this is based on the novel series that Green Enix also publishes. 
I mean, they don't even get to this part in the synopsis, but, you know, this guy got kicked out of the hero's party, but then, like, he ends up teaming up with a great saintist, probably forming his own new party and kind of showing up the people who doubted and dismissed him before. So in that way, it's a little like Shield Hero, just hopefully with a lot less slavery. Uh, next, we've got the amazing village creator, Slow Living with the Village Building Sheet Skill. This comes to us from Shishokuzu, Yasutaka Isagawa, and J1 Kaido. This is set in a village that is like, you know, there's this gift of village building. And so the son of a lord in this village is presented with like this gift and is cast out of his domain in shame. And then he goes to a barren land with plans to develop this gift as well as it can and to live a simple, quiet life. But then the gift activates, and so, you know, Luke's amazing soul life is kind of the focus of the story. We see his village grow, his gifts level up, and we see him just build his village, uh, and his capabilities in building his village transform in a comedically oriented series. So, yeah, I mean, this is kind of a another interesting take on kind of like, oh, I'm removed from the tract of being a fantasy adventurer and I go off to do a different thing. And in this case, the premise is, oh, this guy is like building up a village and we're just going to watch him kind of live his life building this village and building a community. And I think that's a nice angle, an interesting angle to the story. And of course, like his gift is something that can like be leveraged into helping build a village and community quickly. So yeah, I think that could be an interesting angle, just like going into the mechanics or like kind of the logistics of like, how do you build a village? Even in this fantasy world where there are probably like cheats to do that is with this guy's skills. But yeah, I, I think that's a nice different angle from kind of similar stories in this genre. So it'd be one I'd be keen to look into more later. And lastly, since we will also be talking about a Comic Key series on this episode, just wanted to mention that Comic Key has launched a Brazilian version of their website with titles available in Portuguese. And in addition, there are several webtoons available now on Comic Key in Portuguese, including Latna Saga, The Player Who Can't Level Up, Epifania, and The Broken Ring, and O Elixir do Sol. So yeah, I, Kamaki mentioned this back at Anime NYC that they were looking to expand their language offerings and offer new platforms for other territories and in other languages. And it's great to see that their Brazilian website with titles in Portuguese has gotten off the ground. And it's great to just have more language accessibility in the manga website app space. So yeah, very Happy to see that come out and look forward to see like all sorts of more additions to all of these services and evolutions of their platforms. But before we see any of that, I think we're going to talk about the series that have recently come out from all these platforms, their newest additions. And again, we got quite a gamut to talk about. But let's start with series that aren't quite technically simulpubs, but they are new additions. And they were ones that were kind of spotlighted as us to as things to check out, or we were just interested in checking out on our own. And we're going to start with Oski's newest edition, I Fell for Efujoshi. 
I Fell for Fujoshi was a series that was published uh, from February 2021 to May 2022 on Comic Elbow. It's by Toako, and overall, as a three volume long series, there are currently three chapters that we have gotten a chance to read out of 31. But basically, the premise of the series is, well, I mean, the title might give it away. But our protagonist, uh, Yagi, he is like the classic, cool, stoic type, like all the girls like fawn over. He's like, oh, man, this guy's so cool. But he has a secret. and His secret is that he loves reading classic shoujo romance manga. And he's based his entire understanding of how romance works from them. And he's in love with his childhood best friends in Tai. And one night when they're just hanging out together uh, in his room, you know, he tries to confess his feelings to her, saying he's like head over ears because he, he thinks that she's giving him signals because she's been acting kind of awkward around him. So he's like, oh, maybe, you know, we're both kind of growing up. You know, maybe she has developed feelings for me. So he's like, oh, I'm going to go right out and say my feelings. So he phrases it like I'm head over heels. And he's so excited about it. Like, yeah, I finally spent it out. Like, it's, he has a stoic face, but inside his monologue is like, oh, yeah, I did it. I did it. I did it. But uh, wouldn't you know it? Tay misunderstands what he meant because they were reading manga together during this time. And she thinks that he meant that, oh, you've fallen head over heels for BL? Like me, who has recently gotten into BL? And like, she's so happy to have found someone, found that her best friend is also into her new hobby and is now a person that she can kind of share this hobby and enjoyment of BL manga with, even though Yagi really has no interest in BL. He does not read BL, he shoujo, but he kind of gets swept up in the lie and is like, oh, well, I can't tell her the truth now. So he kind of buys into the fact that, oh yeah, I'm a financier. Yeah, I'll, I'll teach you all there is to know about BL. And so, yeah, this like super pretty stoic boy is now kind of just flustered and kind of at the mercy of like his childhood friend who's just so BL obsessed. And in some secret chapters, basically... The former is like, you know, Yagi is trying to get through to Tay and kind of to understand like her mood or her behaviors through the lens of like how shoujo manga heroines act. And of course, he uh, very frequently just misinterprets why she's acting the way she is or what she means when she's saying something as to thinking like, oh, maybe she's into me or maybe she's into someone else and she like is trying to follow the conventions of shoujo manga and play into that but then she just turns everything on its head when it revealed that whatever was going on with her was all like a symptom and expression of her BL obsession so like in the second chapter he thinks like oh is she falling for my male best friend and is he a romantic rival so I gotta like do what a shoujo romantic lead does and like kind of be forceful and like you know asking her like who are you into but then it's like no she was staring at his friend so much because she was like shipping him with their teacher because they talk to each other so much and not even that like two other kids she doesn't know just the way they're looking if they're standing next to her she's shipping in her mind so she's got just feel on the brain and then in the third chapter he gets into another situation where he thinks that oh maybe they're going feeling for each other because she asks him to like strip for him but then of course it's because she wants him <laughs> to be her model for this BL she she wants to draw and make and sell at an event. 
So it's just like a fun comedy of errors of this like guy who's like understanding of love. It always comes from shoujo manga and this girl who just has Beal on the brain. And yeah, I think it's a lot of fun. It's charming so far. I mean, we have not been able to read too many chapters and they're pretty short chapters. So not a lot of story or, or the relationship has progressed yet. But I really enjoyed the chapters that we got to read so far. I found them charming and funny. And yeah, just a nice play on these tropes of shoujo manga and BL fandom. So very, very enjoyable. I think if you're a fan of series like Wotokoi, uh, you'd really enjoy this for very similar comedic sensibilities. Yeah, I, I can't really say I have like a whole lot to contribute here. I think it's cute so far. I did like the bit in chapter two where he does the infamous Kabedon, the wall slam or whatever. And he's just like, why do shoujo protagonists do this all the time? This is weird. This is embarrassing. I don't like this. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so I thought I thought that was kind of funny. But yeah, otherwise I I just I just kind of think it's cute. I'm sorry ahead of time, but one or two of these series I am going to be like, oh this is kind of cute, but I don't have I don't have like a whole lot to say about them and this is kind of unfortunately one of them. But, you know, from the little I got to read, like I thought it was fun. I thought it was fine. I liked it. That's fair. I think that definitely if you're like really into shoujo and BL manga fan culture, just the discussion of tropes in the series and the kind of playing with and subversion of them will really tickle you. Like earlier in the second chapter, we also have like Yagi kind of, or it was really in the third chapter, I think, where like Yagi was kind of reflecting on how different modern shoujo heroines are from more classic shoujo heroines, how like modern shoujo heroines are like a little more proactive and bold in pursuing romance, whereas, you know, older shoujo heroines were like more modest and more reserved. And it's kind of interesting that he's more a fan of like more classic style of tropes as opposed to like more modern style tropes but then when he thinks he's presented with a situation that's real modern shoujo manga that kind of throws him and he tries to roll with the punches in that way even though he's completely misreading the situation so yeah i think again the commentary just the parody element is really fun but it's also just an earnest sweet comedic series so far and uh, I'm really interested in seeing like how the premise kind of expands on this like initial formula of like, you know, Yagi misunderstanding kind of what Tay's <laughs> behavior really signifies and then seeing how the relationship deepens if it eventually does. Maybe it just stays like this forever. But yeah, we'll see. I I'm enjoying it. I think that it's a great addition uh, for fans of Shoujo and BL manga, uh, and just fun, quirky comedies. Uh, if you want to check it out on Asuke, and I'm always happy to see Asuke continue to expand their repertoire of exclusive titles, and they really make some nice picks, I think. So I have not been disappointed with one of their acquisitions yet, and this was no exception. But speaking of Shoujo titles, this is another series that isn't a simulpub. It actually ended... In November of last year, it just ended. It ran for about two and a half years. It started in March 2020 and ended November 2022. But this was a series we mentioned in our news episode as one that caught our eye, as a new edition on Comic Key that caught our interest. And we thought that we'd talk about it because it was a series that uh, definitely was really nice to see be added to Comic Key because it's another Hana to Yume series from one of the biggest shoujo magazines just available to read. And this is The Cursed Princess Servant by Shiba Hamayuki. 
Currently, there are about six chapters available on Comic Key. Overall, the series is about nine volumes long. I'd have to imagine we read about one and a half volumes worth based on these six chapters. Since there is definitely a very clear ending point for what a first volume would be and what the start of a second volume would be. But basically, the premise of the story is, well, again, the title might give a little bit of an indication, but... Our protagonist is a girl called Renee who's like very strong and very durable. And, you know, at the beginning of the story, she has just been fired by her 243rd job because she gets, keeps frequently getting fired because people just get kind of perturbed by just how durable she is. Like at the beginning of the story, she's like kicked by her boss's horse and then she just gets up on it while still bleeding and her boss just runs away on the horse firing her. So stuff like that happens to her. She's just a victim of bad luck. But, you know, she gets approached by William, who is a guard working for the royal palace he hires her on to as she finds out be the personal attendant and servant of the prince of the kingdom albert and albert has been confined to a tower away from the royal palace because he has been cursed with a curse of poison Basically, anything and anyone he touches gets poisoned. Really, in practice, it's more like a curse of decay because, like, he can deteriorate inanimate objects like ropes and apples. So, in, in some ways, I feel like the description of the course being a curse poison may be mislabeled. But regardless, basically, he's kind of confined to himself because his curse poses such a danger to other people. If people touch him, you know, they'll get affected by the curse. And, you know, potentially his, or apparently, his last three servants died because of proximity to his curse, supposedly at least. But Renee tries to do her job and get to know him. He acts very standoffish at first with her. Eventually, though, she comes to realize that, you know, Albert is just trying to keep his distance from her because he feels like, you know, he just brings misfortune onto others. Like, he's very hard on himself. He doesn't want to get anyone else hurt because they you know got were in contact with him because he's feeling just such a heavy burden of guilt over like you know the people that he thinks his curse has killed renee just decides to like be there to support him to stay by her side and like help him out and eventually you know she manages to kind of break through his like emotional walls and like truly become someone that he cares about and can feel comfortable around but then wouldn't you know it renee is targeted to be assassinated and wouldn't you also know it uh she survives the assassination because renee herself is also cursed she was cursed with the curse of immortality so what a perfect pairing she and the prince are. She's cursed with immortality. He's cursed with this curse of poison that kills the people he touches. But she can touch him all she wants and she won't die. The curse won't kill her. Because of that, she's able to really get through to Albert. She's be able to show him that, hey, I'm not going to go anywhere. You're not, your curse doesn't hurt me. I can stay by your side. 
you know, she embraces him very fondly. And so they form a really close bond. And yeah, so Renee basically decides to kind of dedicate herself to like helping Al there learn how to control his curse and kind of grow as a person and just, you know, be there to emotionally support him and be a good friend to him as he kind of goes through life and eventually on the path to becoming the leader of his kingdom, despite his curse even though in the series people who are cursed are often regarded with like fear and there's a lot of tension as to having someone in the royal family be cursed including inter-family conflict from Albert's uncle who as it turns out was the person who was really responsible for the debt of his previous servants as well as the debt of his younger brother when they were kids, which was the whole reason why Albert got cursed in the first place is that, you know, his mother, restricted by like the debt of her other son by poisoning, cried a foul play and then like on her deathbed, you know, was just still filled with so much resentment that it ended up being passed on to Albert. In a similar way, like Renee's curse comes from like her parents were like murdered by a robber one day. Uh, and then as he was dying, her father was like, no, please let my daughter live on. And that became a curse that turned into like Rosalie's curse of immortality. Like her father's wish for her not to die meant that she literally cannot die now, uh, ever. Uh, also, besides the prince, there is also a target of the prime minister of the kingdom who really hates people with curses because of his own family history of like curses kind of destroying his family and his own sister manifesting a curse and seemingly him trying to kill his own sister because she ended up like manifesting her curse. So there's a lot of like inter-court drama and political intrigue that's very interesting. But yeah, overall, it's just a very sweet story and relationship between Renee and Albert as like two people who can understand each other in a way that not really any other people can and can provide emotional support to each other in a way other people have not been able to provide to them before. And it's just nice to see their close bond like Renee like help console Albert that he can control his power and also he's she's not going to leave his side she will stay by his side like like because he has this whole emotional trauma of like people leaving his life and yeah it's it's just a good message that I think is also hammered in through the the contrast of Albert and like his uncle and how they think of their curses of like just having you know someone to be there to support you and also having like kind of the strength to not give in and like curse your circumstances in your world like that can really make a difference in your life uh, and the course and direction of your life so yeah, I, I'm really appreciating the series a lot so far. It's a lot of fun. Like, the art can be really comedic. I like a lot of Renee's expressions. They can be really goofy. And there's some great comedic moments that, that play on her immortality. Like a moment where, like, Albert is, like, practicing swordsmanship with William and, like, the end of, like, just a side chapter. And it's like an axe goes <laughs> into her, a sword goes into her, her head. And she's just like, hmm? Like, she just doesn't even register it because she's just so, so used to that kind of pain that it's like, 
you know, and not <laughs> she could die from it, that it's like not even a bother to her. So there's this fun stuff like that. Like, you know, uh, Renee really does get put through a lot of harm, getting her neck sliced open, getting like swords or arrows through her chest. So, you know, they do not shy away from like some violence thrown her way, but like, you really got to appreciate kind of her just upbeat energy and spirit. She's very much like kind of a classic Hannah to Yumi protagonist who is like a very chipper, positive person, despite kind of maybe her more tough life and circumstances up to the point. Just like a person who has a really optimistic uh, and kind view of the world and other people. So yeah, I really like her a lot. I really like the story a lot so far. I don't have a whole lot to add again because I, I only got the chance to read the first two chapters to this today, unfortunately. But I did like what I read. I do like the relationship dynamic between uh, Renee and Albert. You know, obviously him having the curse of poison and her having the curse of immortality. I don't know. I, I think it's just kind of nice because obviously Albert had to be kept locked away from people so that he wouldn't risk, you know, hurting other people. And so it's, it's just kind of nice to have him, you know, find someone that he can actually like, you know, spend time with and not have to worry about killing because of his powers or whatever. And, and I thought that was kind of nice. You know, unfortunately, because I only read like a couple of chapters of this, uh, from the little I read, it, it did make me want to read more. So there's that. Yeah. One thing I will comment on is that I was surprised that the plot with Albert's uncle was resolved as quickly as it did. It really was just the premise of the first volume's worth of chapters. And that surprised me because I thought, oh, this was going to be like more of a slow burn. He'd be more of a kind of overarching villain in the background, especially because of how close Albert was with his uncle. You know, he really admired him, looked up to him and thought like, you know, don't count him out as like potentially being being the successor of the kingdom, even though he's like the illegitimate child of his grandfather and stuff. So it's like, obviously, though, by the end of that second chapter, you kind of know the truth of like, oh, he's scheming against Albert. But then like the full revelation of like, oh, he was responsible for like the death of his servants. It wasn't his curse that killed his servants. Like Olivier intentionally had them murdered so that that would drive Albert into depression and demoralize him as like part of a long con to like disincentivize him from taking up the throne and just isolate him further and even further than that like that his ambitions went as far as like murdering his own nephew Albert's brother as a child like by feeding him poison and trying to do the same to Albert before he knew that Albert was resistant to poisons but again even though I was surprised that plot line got resolved so quickly I do think that the contrast the theme that was explored through the dynamic of Albert and Olivier was interesting, well done as a commentary on this idea of curses. Because like in this series, you know, just from the example of how Renee's curse and Albert's curse worked, it's like really a curse that was kind of born of the strong desires of someone else that is like kind of entrust and forced on to kind of the person that they want to protect it's like an ironic thing if because they really loved this person wanted to protect them so much, they ended up giving them this like curse that has kind of made their lives challenging 
in a certain way. It's really kind of a metaphor for how like loving expectations placed upon you by like someone can like be like a burden that you're like carrying with you because like you have to live to or live with that expectation that was placed on you. So like for Renee, it's like her dad's like, I don't want my daughter to die. And so now she can never die. And then for Albert, it's like a curse poisons. And so now she has given Albert this curse of poison, which means like he can never be poisoned and die from poison the same way like his brother did. So yeah, it's a really interesting thing how curses work, especially because, you know, we've had an example of the prime minister's family curses running through his family. Like I'm interested in exploring like more of the teams through those examples as the story goes on. But uh, yeah, again, to contrast like Albert and Olivier. So Olivier is not cursed, but he feels that his life circumstances, you know, being the illegitimate son of uh, his grandfather does not in line for the Trotter succession and just feeling like an outcast in that way that was a curse on him and so he has just kind of built up all this resentment and hatred for his own family and the people around him to the point of like again outright being murderous and wanting to like just make his own nephew just suffer just out of spite by like killing the people around him and driving him mad And so through the example of like Olivier, it's just kind of shown the different ways you can choose to live your curse. Like with Albert and Renee, they come to a place of like, we might have this curse, but that doesn't mean that it will stop us from forming relationships with other people. It doesn't mean that we're going to be bitter against the world. We're going to just try and live our best lives in the world with what we've been given. And we'll start to not see those as curses, but like as gifts, as things that we can like kind of use in our own way to kind of help other people like Albert starts to learn how to control his curse and he's able to use his curse to save Renee from the suffering of like this deadly poison that obviously it won't kill her but it's not curable and would have made her suffer forever but because he is someone who can neutralize poisons because of his curse he's able to cure Renee of that so he's able to use it for good and there's other like indications that his power learning how to control it or learning how to use to help people it can be something that grows into being something as a positive thing and seen by others as a positive thing and then obviously Renee, for the longest time, she was kind of ostracized because her curse kind of put people off of like, oh, this girl is like weirdly durable and strong. But like in this situation for Albert, that he is just exactly the person he needs to be at his side to give him care and to protect him, both emotionally and even like physically because she's very strong and whatnot. Uh, but yeah, so... You know, they, that conflict between Albert and his uncle serves as just good contrast. It's just to show like, oh, this is how you can choose to deal with the misfortunes in your life. You can either let them uh, ruin you. You can either let them make you a bitter person who chooses to lash out at the people around you and hurt the people around you, not realizing the people who wanted to help you, like how Olivier's brother, the king, like he was trying to help him and he saw the potential in him wanted to eventually give him the throne but like Olivia was just so blinded by his resentment towards his brother and his family and life circumstances that he didn't even realize the help that he was being given the helping hand that was like being given to him which is you know a fate that Albert awarded because Renee came into his life so yeah I just thought that it explored that team very well 
very poignantly, and I appreciated that. And I'm curious to see how that will continue to be explored and expanded upon as the story continues, because there's definitely a lot of groundwork being laid with the conflict with the prime minister and then the backstory involving him and you know, his family and his sister. So I'm definitely excited to read more. Yeah, same. To move on, uh, we'll be getting into our Mangamo titles now. Once again, these aren't quite simulpubs, but our first title is Yonisawa-san is Done Being Human. This comes to us by Kawata Eisuke. And this story is about, you know, the titular Yonezawa. He works for a pet goods company and he's in charge specifically of the dog fashion products division. And his subordinate, Shizuku, she's often very clumsy and makes mistakes. So he has to help her out and kind of smooth over the situation with clients and his very demanding jerk of a boss and stuff. And, you know, all his co-workers really like him. It's like, wow, this guy's so calm and collected. You know, must be nice to be so stress-free. But Yonezawa's like, no, I'm stressed <laughs> out as heck. Work is, like, really tough and it's really hard. But I just I have to put up this act of being, like, the capable stress-free model of a, of a manager just because our boss is just so cruel and harsh. Like, I can't, like, lash out of my own co-workers with a boss that harsh. You know, I need to create a comfortable working environment for them. But in private, Yonezawa does vent out his frustrations and his stresses because uh, Yonezawa is someone who is into pet play and is into specifically kind of, he's kind of a furry, like he dresses up in a full body dog costume. He just likes to, you know, in his private, like act like a dog, cuddle and jewel over his stuffed animals and, you know, just live out the fantasy of being a dog. Just escape from just the stresses of being human. Unfortunately for him, one night he kind of forgot that his girlfriend, who he was with for a long time, he had a date with her and she was going to come over to his apartment. So she sees him in the act of like dressed in a full body dog costume and is like disgusted with him and breaks up with him. And that breaks his heart. But like the last thing she says to him before like dumping him is telling him, why don't you go find someone who's like into that stuff? And so he thinks about it and is like, okay, fine, I will. And so he looks up and tries to find people who are like him, who are like also into pet play, puppy role play. And, you know, he kind of ties in specifically looking for someone to be a dog. But so he first comes up with like, you know, BDSM type results of like kind of like more elements that are leaning on the masochistic part of the culture, which is not what he's into. He's like into the part of like, you know, being pampered, being called like a good boy and stuff. So instead, he kind of keeps searching and he finds like a site that kind of offers, you know, a call girl service for pet role play, like people who can come over and like act as like your puppy owner and so he decides to give it a shot but wouldn't you know it the carl girl like the dog master he calls over happens to be his same klutzy subordinate at work uh mitani and so it's awkward at first but they kind of decide to end up rolling with it we don't realize why initially but mitani is particularly insistent to like do the job and is like you know i'll do anything you want and so they kind of go forward with it and they get into it like yonasa feels really good being called like harukan like kind of a pet nickname and then being treated like a puppy like kind of getting head pads 
And so he gets really into the role play and it's a little bit carried away. But basically, they both end up coming out of the experience actually having really enjoyed it. Like, Batani really enjoys, like, kind of seeing the side of this boss she admires so much and also just, like, kind of doting on someone in this way. And then Yonozawa just enjoys someone where he can, like, kind of be himself, just let loose and just kind of, you know, again, kind of dote on someone in the form of, like, acting like a puppy. But, like, kind of, you think that, oh, well, there's a potential romantic match here. Feelings could develop here. Well, maybe, but the kind of issue is that Mitani already has a boyfriend and her boyfriend is like a real abusive piece of work who kind of forced her into the call girl service to make money. He's a wannabe musician who got kicked out of his band for being like really wild and beating up his fellow band members. To be fair, it was because one of his fan members was assaulting Chizuku. So, you know, you can understand, like, why he'd be so upset with that. But he has a history of, like, being violent outside of that and since then. He takes out all his, like, frustrations and bitterness on Chizuku. Like, when she tries to bring a cake home to celebrate their four-year anniversary, he just, like, yells at her, Why aren't you out working? Why are you bothering getting a cake. I'd rather you go out, get some money and like kind of throws the cake on the ground and like, you know, physically hits her in a way that leaves a mark on her wrist. And then like he tries to, in public, kind of pass this off as like, Shizuku is such a class. Did you know yesterday she tripped and fell and like uh, spilled her cake that she got? And so, you know, he's he's a real jerk. And, you know, Yonazawa comes to learn about Shizuku's situation and he becomes concerned about her just like as a friend a person is like yo you are in a really bad relationship that guy doesn't deserve you you should break up with him of course you know as people in an abusive relationship often are like shizuku is kind of sweet talked into forgiving her boyfriend because he comes to her saying like oh i'm so sorry for how i treated you uh, i apologize can we start over and she kind of ends up going on with it even though i'm sure it's very clear that she knows like deep down that there's still a lot of bad vibes that this has happened before this can happen again so Yonazawa is trying to you know as they're continuing this relationship of like Dogmaster and Puppy Yonazawa is also trying to kind of have a relationship outside of the role play to like try and be there for her as a friend to try and like help her get out of this relationship or like kind of try and learn more about her in order to figure out how to help her how to convince her to leave this relationship that is like so clearly abusive it's also very clear that Mitani really appreciates the time that she's spending with Yonazawa because it's a time where she's like with someone where it's like it's a relationship just of like kindness and just pure showing affection for each other and that's something she really needs and she's willing to like even though like her boyfriend and like her boss are like yo you have this regular customer you should like squeeze him from our money she at one point is like oh uh you know I want you to maybe call me outside the service next time but Yonazawa kind of puts up bounds because he's worried of the ramifications that could come if like you know her boyfriend finds out that she's not letting him pay for the service anymore and it's like just coming on her own so it's it's a really compelling story a relationship between these like two people who are both like trying to find escapism from like really tough circumstances in their lives and like are coming out of or are in like relationships that were not terribly loving or terribly accepting of each other's like interests or emotional needs 
and, you know, just finding like acceptance in each other and, you know, kind of a way to just be affectionate with a person in a way that feels really good and like healing. And then like generally forming like a real relationship just as fellow people who like care about each other. But then also I'm sure deeper romantic feelings are going to continue to develop. Like Yonezawa is kind of thrown off initially about the fact that she has a boyfriend because you know he just coming out of being dumped he's like oh maybe this is like kind of a, a sign or fate and then like learning Matani has a boyfriend is like huh wait why is she doing this even though she has a boyfriend and then you know it's now it's just about him like trying to help her get out of this relationship he can clearly see a lot of people around them can clearly see it's like abusive but she's just really not willing to let go because she blames herself for what happened to him and she blames herself for like why he acts the way he does even though it's just classic kind of unfortunate victim behavior in an abusive relationship that she's kind of fallen to the mindset of um but yeah so it's a compelling story about like trying to help someone that way and the two people like kind of finding in each other just acceptance of each other in a way that they're not getting in their other relationships relationships and it's also again escape from the stresses of daily life and being human as the title suggests so I found it very compelling. And as someone who also has a lot of friends who are into like pet play and puppy play, you know, I could think of them and how they talk to each other in the series uh, and in this, in the interactions between Yonezawa and Shizuku uh, in their like kind of nights together where they're role playing and be like, oh, they would really relate and enjoy this. So I appreciate it on that level too. Yeah. I mean, I got to be honest, out of... Out of all the Mangamo titles we're going to be talking about on this episode, uh, I hate to give it away so quickly, but th- this is the one that I'm like kind of the most interested in reading more of. I read the first three chapters of this, so I only got like an inkling of like, oh, what does Mitani's boyfriend like think of this? Oh, he's the one that got her into the service, huh? I wonder why. And now I found out why, and it's a lot more tragic than I thought it would be, actually. And it does make me want to like read more of it, because I-, I didn't know it was going to go into that direction. But I mean, already I... I myself, I have a lot of friends who are into not necessarily pet play, but um, I don't even know what you would call it. Like like other like alternate lifestyle kind of things like this or other types of play, however you want to describe it, that it was just kind of nice to read a manga where like that's not made fun of or like you're not supposed to like think lower of them or whatever. Like it's a thing that he does to like it. Like you said, it's, it's a form of escapism. And it's something that, like, genuinely helps him unwind after, like, you know, a hard, terrible day at work. And, you know, it's it's nice to see that kind of thing, I guess, shown positively in a manga, I guess. It, this is the first kind of series like that that I've ever read. So, like, is it, I, I just thought that was kind of nice. Yeah, I really appreciate it. How just earnest and appreciative and affectionate it is of just Yonezawa and Mitani's particular kink and interest in pet play and in role play. And... Yeah, just showing it as like this really cathartic form of escapism and like bonding for them. And I thought that was really sweet. Yeah, it's it's just nice that at no point is ever really treated as a joke. Even like when we see like him dressed in his full body dog costume, I think that very quickly it's like we're really meant to commiserate with his circumstances of finding like endearing and adorable. And then it's like tragic that, you know, his now ex-girlfriend walks in on him and is like, you, you're disgusting. You should have told me. I would never would have dated you if I'd known you were into this. My heart certainly did drop at that moment. Yeah, I was like, oh, this is the worst time. <laughs> oh, that was that was unfortunate. 
Yeah, but I mean, it's probably a blessing in disguise because, you know, he can't be, if he couldn't be himself around her, if she's going to react like that, then I mean, yeah, exactly. maybe it's a good thing. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely a moment where you're wishing for the best and happiness in people who will like truly love and accept these characters for who they are and fulfill like their emotional needs in the way that they're not getting out of their other relationships, their previous relationships, or in Natani's case, their current one. So yeah, and I'm, they're finding that in each other and it's... It's going to be an interesting thing if, like, it does, and I'm sure it will probably end up becoming a thing where they uh, will be romantically involved. But, you know, right now, them just bonding as, like, friends and people who want to help each other is just also really earnest and sweet. No, yeah, for sure. Obviously, I mean, they, they kind of hint at it, you know, in the beginning of the series. Like, they, they give you hints, but still, at the same time, I remember thinking, like, oh, that's kind of, like, I could see how it'd be kind of surprising at first with, like, the full-body dog suit. But then, like, you know, li- like you said, th- th- this is a series where you're meant to kind of, like, sympathize with Yonezawa and how, like, you, you want him to find somebody that'll be accepting of what he's into. Yeah. Oh, hey, man, Mitani. Yeah. So. Yeah, so this is still an ongoing series. It's been running for about since 2021. We only were able to read the first 10 chapters for the show, but currently on Mangamo, there are about uh, 22. So I think they're actually caught up to the current chapters in Japan. So this actually is, I think you can call it a, a real style puff. So yeah, this is one that I definitely am eagerly going to catch up on because I really got invested in it. So yeah, I'm excited to continue reading and seeing where the story goes and where the relationship between these characters go. Yeah, for sure. So the next title that we're going to talk about is another relationship type of manga, another cute, sweet one. This is I Don't Understand What My Sister's Friend Is Thinking by Ray. This is another title that might kind of give away what the premise of the series is about. Yeah, basically, the idea is that this girl, she really has a crush on her best friend's brother. And so she's kind of like shy and like nervous to kind of be around him at first because she has a crush. But she ends up going over like just by herself to visit him and like play games with him and like spend some time with him. And, I, uh, you know, he does just these things that kind of make her like heart go doki doki every now and again, just because he's being kind of kind uh, a sweet her without realizing it. And like her best friend, Chi, she sees through the fact that Suyu likes her brother. So she tries to play matchmaker and help her get into situations where she can like kind of be alone with her brother and like kind of get closer with him and also help her out in doing like some nice romantic gestures for him. Like she helps her tie these misangas, which are like these little tied rope bracelets uh, that they, that girls give to guys they like. So Suyu learns how to make one and tie one to get the Yuto. And she helps her with that. Then later, they like kind of plan a, a date at the aquarium or, you know, hang out at the aquarium. It ends up just being Suyo and Yuto going on it. And through that, like they get a little, even a little bit closer because they're able to kind of share a little bit of what each other likes and their experiences. And the fact they're both very affectionate of Chi as like someone they really care about, like Suyu as her best friend and Yuto as her big brother. And so, yeah, Suya starts to kind of become more comfortable just being alone around Yuto and, like, just hanging out with him. And, like, you know, she just hasn't quite worked up the confessing her feelings, but she's, like, slowly, slowly, like, making progress towards that. And, like, she's, like, cheerleading her all the way. 
that's basically what the story is about uh, so far. It's just like kind of a cute little slice of life romance about this girl who's like has a crush on her best friend's older brother and is kind of just trying to show her affections to him. Yeah, this is definitely the other series I was referring to earlier where I was just kind of like, this is cute. And that's all I really have to say about it. It's just cute. I liked what I read of it. I don't know if I'm terribly interested in reading a whole lot more, but, um, you know, for what it is, I thought it was fine. It was cute. And that's all I have to say. I thought it was cute in a very endearing way. It's just a very sweet manga. I think the friendship between Suyu and Chi and the fact that Chi is like really supportive of Suyu's crush on her brother and like trying to help her get close to him and like, you know, teasing her like because she can see rights through from the beginning the fact that she has a crush on her brother and then she doesn't even try and hide it from Chi after a certain point. And so again, she just becomes her wingman and like trying to help play matchmaker between the two. And, you know, Yuto is just a, a good dude. He does not really see Suyu in a romantic way, but he is kind to her and he appreciates like her gestures of affection. And he can also take some pride in the fact that, oh, a girl made a misanga for me. Like he like boasts to his classmates and they're like, oh. But then he's like, oh, wait, it's, it's just my little sister and her best friend. Uh, so. That's nice. Uh, there's in the tenth chapter, which is what I got up to reading to. Yuto's best friend Itsuki was just introduced as like someone who kind of like helps Suyu out and like kind of uh tying back like a gift that Yuto gave her that was important to her. Uh, but then also like he has come to like hang out with Yuto, and uh, I don't know necessarily like what they allow to the dynamic. I'm not quite sure their gender yet, but yeah, that's another interesting potential new wrinkle as uh, Suyu has been getting closer to Yuto, they have like Yuto's old childhood friend come back into the picture. So yeah, I'm curious about that. Uh, again, I just found this very, very charming. I thought it was very sweet, the relationship between these characters. And like the moment at the aquarium where like Suyu wanted to go see the jellyfish because she knew it was like Chi's favorite and that opens up an opportunity for Yuto to reflect on you know, our mother uh, used to love taking us to the Koreans and her favorite was the jellyfish too, you know. So it's like a nice, sweet moment of bonding with the two characters have and like kind of sh- sharing, again, how affectionate they are for this one person that they share that they really care about in Chi. So yeah, again, I just thought it's like a very, very sweet manga. So I enjoyed it. I definitely would recommend it for fans of like puppy love crush type manga and, you know, just fans of like, yeah, just cute slice of life romances now uh hmm i feel like the next title we kind of had on the docket uh to talk about is kind of a break in like genre format so maybe we'll circle back to that one and instead go on to the last um romantic comedy question mark <laughs> um from Mangalo? i guess you could call up that <laughs> And certainly the most uh, mouthful of a title, um, my stepsister who tells me to die every day tries to hypnotize me so I would fall for her. I bet you'll never guess what happens in this series. No, um, another one of those very uh, classical and memed upon, very descriptive and on the nose <laughs> manga slash light novel titles here. This is a title from Tanaka Doi Riru. And um, honestly, the tone of the title, I think, is reflective of the tone of the manga. This manga is written in a very tongue-in-cheek way. Uh, definitely seems to be kind of a parody of stepsister romance-type titles. Basically, it's about this guy, uh, Aoto, 
He became step-siblings with this girl Shizuka when her parents died, but she acts like a real jerk to him. She like calls him disgusting and just shows just real contempt for him. And he's like kind of lamenting initially like, ah, I really have lost any chance to form a real relationship with her. But then one night he kind of fell asleep on the couch and then he kind of wakes up uh, and sees that uh, Shizuka is like kind of sitting on him and she's trying to hypnotize him like she's like bought into like these hypnotism books and she like wants to hypnotize him and he, he thinks like oh she's gonna hypnotize me to like kind of kill my social life like make me run naked to the streets or something but no she wants to hypnotize him so that he like is head over heroes in love with her and she tries to kind of exploit this idea that he's been hypnotized to be like unconditionally in love with her to like do things like kiss her or like read out like these very uh corny uh, light novel stock lines like she has like these fantasies of like things that he wants him to say to her and that comes straight out of a corny light novel which happens to be like the light novel he writes because that's another part about this is that he's writing a step sister <laughs> romance light novel i was not expecting that by the way which it feels like it's some a detail that should have been established in the first chapter but yeah. then it comes at you in the second chapter and it's like wait a minute was this before or after you found out your sister was in love with you but then it's like oh you've been doing this for a while it's been before because she's been a fan of your work for and she considers her light novel her bible <laughs> for Sep's sibling romance monkey even though it is like considered like <laughs> like seethier in light novel popularity but like yeah it's kind of a strange place to include that information that felt like maybe it was thought of after the, at, at after least the like a chapter. hint in the first chapter would have been nice yeah it feels like way Wait a minute, when Shizuka was like trying to seduce him, like he should have been like, wait, this is like something out of my light novel, you know? <laughs> you think he would think about that because he writes a step-sibling romance light novel. But uh, yeah, so basically, yeah, Shizuka is this insane yandere girl who is like trying to hypnotize her stepbrother into being like head over heels in love with him and living out her fantasies that she's like kind of gotten from step-sibling romance light novels, particularly his of like, you know, lewd things to make him say to her. And then like going so far as to like, you know, being very very perverted, like wanting him to grope her breasts. And there's literally a point in the manga where she gets like outright turned on uh, and wet by like what he says to her. Because like we have a, a panty, we have a panty shot where it's like her, there's sweat on her thighs. And then no. the next panel, it's like a panel of like a trob sound effect coming from oh, between her thighs. I didn't even notice like, that. Oh, so she she um, gets real uh, horny. Uh, for real turned on, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, really mm-hmm. turned on mm-hmm. by like still living out these horny light novel God. fantasy situations. Um, So basically the reason that Oto plays along with this and it's not, uh, no, I'm not going to play along with this. This is weird. Is that Shizuka, again, is like this crazy yandere. So she's like threatening to kill him <laughs> with a drill. <laughs> she's going to drill him to death if... Uh, he is not actually hypnotized. So that's why he like is kind of scared into like playing along and not let slip the fact that he actually isn't hypnotized. And then frequently like she is threatening him with violence when he is not doing what she tells him to do. I'll give him this. That's reasonable. 
No, I mean, you can understand why he does it, because, like, this is a very crazy, a dangerous person who's, like, threatening to murder him and then kill herself. So it's like, uh, you can understand, like, why he, he feels the need to play along and why he's trapped in the situation. The other wrinkle that kind of gets put into this is that Aucho's childhood best friend, Rinko, is actually also in love with him. Like, at first, he's, you know, at the beginning of the manga, he's like, oh, she's just teasing me. She doesn't actually, like, like me that way. If I told her that I liked her, if I asked her about it, she would just be like, uh, I like you as a friend. So he kind of completely has misread the fact that she actually genuinely likes him and is in love with him. And so she initially is bemused by Shizuka's, like, antics in, like, the earlier chapters, but then when she, like, finds out about the whole hypnotism thing, because Shizuka is, like, so possessive of her brother that she hates the fact that Aucho and Rinko are close. Like, she calls Rinko the plain girl, and she's, like, disgusted at the fact that Aucho hangs out for her. So she tries to get him to stop being your friend by saying that, oh, I love only Shizuka. You should, like, say some horrible things to her. But, like, Rinko kind of sees right through it that Shizuka is, like, kind of forcing him to do something. And, like, she is, like, initially fooled a little bit and kind of overreacts, but then she kind of realizes what's really going on. And she, like, outright, like, confronts Shizuka. And she's like, stop being such, like, a brat. Like, I, I really like the, actually like the mode where she, like, kind of just walks over to the table that Shizuka <laughs> is sitting at, like, right behind them. And she just pours her coffee all over her and is like, <laughs> you should never eavesdrop, you know, you that was a, a really fun moment. I actually like the kind of rivalry is such like kind of tension between Shizuka and Rinko because they are not afraid of throwing insults at each other and like showing their contempt for each other. Yeah, she like rightfully calls her out. Yeah, no, she does call her out on her childishness. Honestly, like her simmering was also something that I really appreciated. Like she's got a lot of like edge in fighting back to her. So I, I appreciate like that kind of uh, the rivalry, the the tension between them there. But uh, then the other complication, of course, is the fact that, again, like Aocho is Shizuka's favorite author, even though she doesn't know it. So there comes a situation where he has to do a autograph signing event. Oh, no. And then Shizuka finds out about it. And so he's like, okay, how do I get out of this? How do I get out of the fact that of her knowing that I'm her favorite author? Because she also forces him to like go on a date with her right before the event is supposed to happen too. So I, okay, how do I get away from her and go to this event and fulfill my obligation for my poetry, but then also not have her come and find me out? And her solution to that is like to kind of cross dress uh, and present himself as a female author. But then like her sister, she sniffs his scent. And it's like, you smell like a butter. What is your relationship to my brother? And she's like ready to kill this woman. She thinks she was dating, she was dating her brother. But then his manager, who he has to confess the secret to because, you know, she's like, why are you cross-dressing as a woman? What are you doing? And she finds it very amusing. So she covers for him and she lies that like, oh, they're not dating. Uh, your brother is Ichino Sensei's interviewee. Like, you know, we found out that you're like such a, a beautiful girl and you have a stepbrother. And so we want to interview your stepbrother about like, you know, your relationship. And so this entire light novel series that was written is like based on your relationship including all the details in it which he wrote a lot of very perverted 
vivid uh, details in this light novel, like sipping tea soaked with uh, his sister's panties and like crawling in bed with her. So like they have to pass this off as like things that like actually actually did and were experiences written into this light novel. God. So yeah, it is um a very absurd, very trashy series, but it's I'm not gonna lie, it made me laugh out loud really hard several times. I think this manga was definitely written to be a parody of step stippling romance. I titles. sure hope so. I sure hope so. <laughs> it, it certainly is not being portrayed sincerely. I mean, you get some sympathy to Shizuka and the fact, you know, she likes Aoto so much because he was, like, there for her when her biological parents died. So, you know, you have moments where you are shown that she really is, like, desperately cares about Aoto, but, like, she expresses that in an extremely possessive and toxic way. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, in a healthy way. And that side is, like, portrayed very much for laughs and for the absurdity of the situation. It is all about the escalation of the absurdity of this lie that Aoto has to put on of being hypnotized and just the misunderstandings that have to follow from those circumstances. Um, certainly, I hope that it doesn't lean into informing a relationship with his sister in a sincere way. So, unfortunately, I mean, th- at this point that they've already ended up crossing the line of, like, kissing and uh-huh. and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, I also unclear, like, at what age they became step-siblings. But, you know, I think, uh, regardless, I don't think this is a manga where you're meant to sincerely buy into the romance. It's just about, like, the absurdity of the situation of romance. Like, the fact that Aucho is calling out his own writing and it's like, this is so corny and this is such a bad line. But the fact that, like, Shizuka just eats it up, whatever he says to her that he's reading out loud from this light novel, I think is, like, supposed to be a point of these works, this entire subgenre <laughs> and how it's written is absurd, isn't it? Let's make fun of this with this yandere heroine in this series. So, yeah. I mean, it's difficult to call this a good manga by conventional means. Um, I don't know. I, I think that's a, maybe an unfair thing to say about it. It's certainly not a tasteful manga, I would say. No, not at all. But I would also be lying if I were saying that it wasn't effective in being very funny intentionally. So it's doing its job and it did generally make me laugh out loud because it goes to certain places and it plays its comedic beats and just the relationship of its characters off well and I did generally enjoy reading it and getting into it, even though I was very apprehensive of it based on the title, but uh, again, it's very parodic. I I gotta be honest with you, I really was not sure about it at first. I think I should say I, I read about six chapters of this, so I got up to around the point of the big blow up at the cafe, which was uh, definitely something. I try to take notes down whenever I'm trying to record my thoughts about these silent pubs, so I know what to talk about on the show. My only note for this series that I've written down so far is. Definitely not sure what to think about this one. This is the tamest thing I could say about the series, because I, like, I was reading this, and I was thinking, like, how I was going to talk about it on the show today, because I just kept thinking, like, man, I don't, I don't want to, like, publicly admit on a podcast that I want to read more of this, because then I'm afraid I'm going to get put on a list or get judged or something. But I do kind of want to keep reading it, because I, it was one of those things where it's like, Like, I think you're right. Like, I think this is supposed to be tongue-in-cheek, sort of a parody, a little bit. Like, it knows what it's doing. It knows it's trash. And it it leans into that. And on some level, I kind of appreciate that. But, man, I don't... (sighs) 
look, I do have that thing that's wrong with my brain where it's like, I kind of like trashy stuff. So on that level, I do kind of want to keep reading it. I would be lying if I said that I, I wasn't sort of kind of excited when I got like six chapters in and we did get to the cafe bit and I saw that double page spread of Rinko getting up from her seat to, you know, dump her coffee all over uh, Shizuka. That was a pretty boss moment. Yeah. Like, honestly, I genuinely thought that like, I, I, I kind of thought that like, it was going to take a lot longer to get to this confrontation, honestly. So I'm I'm really happy that it didn't take like another 10, 20 chapters to get to this point, because I honestly thought it was going to take a lot longer. No, it certainly is moving fast. This series has about 12 chapters available on Mangamo right now. So I wish I got a chance to read those next two, because I'm like, well, where, where does it go from like this... <laughs> This lie of, like, involving him being the light novel author. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely think I, I will probably check in on this because I it is, like, compelling trash. It's hard to put down. It is a train wreck that uh, is just, like, you, you just can't look away from. But it's also, like, trying to be a train wreck. So it's, like, performance art in that way, I guess. I don't know. It's funny. It's just generally, I think it's it's trying to be a tongue-in-cheek parody of these kind of series because it's not playing it very sincerely. And it's, like, going very over the top in the yandereness of Shizuka. So I can appreciate that. Yeah, this, this manga is designed to make you go what is going on every chapter mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i think the first time i had that reaction was in chapter two where she has him read his own light novel and they're reading all those lines about how oh i'd rather have you for breakfast oh my two fried eggs are reserved just for you oh i'll gladly take your undercooked fried eggs i'm just like what what am i reading <laughs> And then the, that's the thing is that like, like he's thinking, what am I? What did I write? This is this is garbage. What she's what into it. Honestly, if if I if I wrote this, I would be ashamed. <laughs> I would seek religion. Honestly. <laughs> oh, but oh yeah, I I can't say. I can't say that I didn't have fun reading it, which is really weird. I I don't I don't like saying that, but it's true. Nah, it's just gotta. I I'm gonna own up today. I laughed really hard reading the series. It is funny. Loud, generally, it's very funny. So, but it's also trashy. You have this moment where Shizuki's debating whether she wants to stay to watch her brother pee or go to the oh signing my God. event. Okay, <laughs> I cannot stress this enough. If you're if you're listening to us talk about this, like you've never read this before, and you think, "Well, I'm not going to touch that with a ten foot pole," we totally understand that. Yeah, like as as funny as the series can be, and how how fun and trashy it is. Like, unless I know someone who is into this, like for sure, this is not something I would like recommend to everybody. This is not for everybody. Yeah, I think it would be something to recommend to folks who want to read a series that it seems to be taking the piss out of this sep sibling genre of light novels and manga but there's definitely a lot of uh maybe content warnings for like the crazy things that happens in the series like this was definitely the series i got to when i was reading through everything for the show today and i just my my first thought was (sighs) God, what are, what am I gonna read? Are we actually reading this? But then it turned actually turned out to be in a way kind kind of an enjoyable read, kind of a fun read. Like as shocking as it was in parts, I didn't totally hate reading it, and that is not the way I thought this would go. So if you're into trash, this is probably up your alley. Yeah. 
Speaking of trashy, I think that also is a fair descriptor of the final Mangamo series we wanted to spotlight on this episode, Kami-sama Deck Game. So, I mean, this is another pretty descriptive title. It is a deck game with a team of, like, gods that are, like, punishing the participants in it. Basically, the idea, again, just to describe the general premises there seems to be this like sadistic rooster game master and like people are lured into this world and they are like assigned to be either a half a man or a wanted children and they're grouped together as pairs and basically like these pairs share like a lifeline once they become a pair they can't separate from each other like more than 50 meters or their bodies are going to burn to death until nothing but their clothes remain and uh, so yeah they have to like operate in these pairs so and Initially, we were introduced to three characters. Two of them are like like high school students and friends. And then there's one of the guys like this Yakuza looking dude called Jingo, who like is kind of a jerk. And you know, judging by how these kind of series go, you would think, oh, Jingo is like going to be the guy who's like going to get killed off, and these high schoolers are going to be their protagonists. But um, it's the other way around, surprisingly, in this first chapter. Like those high schoolers who would normally be kind of the protagonists of this kind of deck game series, they immediately get killed off, and it's Jingo who's our lead main character. Just this, you know. 20 something like that is a dude who's like always kind of been blamed for causing other people trouble and it's kind of like a, a complex of doubting his own self-worth because of that but he ends up being saved by this kid called Murrow and they end up becoming a pair together because they share the same uh, kanji for unwanted children and Murrow is uh, we don't know that much about him right now he's like a kid he wears headphones all the time he has like a very heavy backpack so like they encounter like this weird creepy monster woman who like has giant mouth with spiky feet in her stomach and she's like crawling around on all fours. It's like, I will say the monster designs in this series are very creepy. Yeah. But uh, basically yeah. they're able to like kind of defeat it by like Murrow climbs up a tree and like drops his like bag on the monster and it's like so heavy that it kind of like breaks its back and so it goes scuttling off. But then they encounter like other people in this game and they're like kind of trust into like the first real game that they're, they're supposed to play. Like they haven't been playing the game yet. Like now like them becoming a pair and then like finding other pairs then the first game starts and basically they fight against a god called the god of Mitsuko which is like a giant three-headed monster one head has like giant eyes one has a giant nose one is just a giant mouth with a tongue and it's like based off of this like myth that believe that you know someone that has only one sense uh, of sight taste or smell would have like the perfect version of that sense because you know having only one sense would mean that would sense would be heightened the most. And so in this myth, like three priests, like each like honed one of these senses, like they each like cut off their other senses to do only one of them. And then they feud together as this God who had this perfect sense and was worshiped by the villagers of the town of Mitsuko, who offer like the heads of mutilated people every few years that were mutilated in a way where one head only had eyes, one only had like the mouth, one only had like the nose. And so that's what, like, this god, this monster does to its victims, is that it kills and decapitates its victims, and then it, like, enshrines them in its shrine as heads that, like, have only one of the senses remaining. Which is a generally, like, kind of creepy visual. Um, but yeah, basically, that's kind of, like, the premise of the first ten chapters. Jingomer becoming a team, encountering some other people, and then, like, fighting and defeating this god, and then 
then at the end of that we get introduced to some new characters and potentially like the direction of the next game and story but really we don't know that much about the circumstances of the game yet between the first 10 chapters like why it's happening what it's about you know why are the people who are in it in it if there's like a real reason for it like this is punishing like sinners or people like our main characters are kind of the worst of the worst it seems like or at least we don't really know much about Merle yet but Jingo again he was like kind of a scuzzy scummy dude in his life before this and then the two other surviving characters of note who like helped defeat the god of Mitsuko are like Monoma who is like a really perverted and potentially pedophilic high school girl uh-huh yeah uh, who like had this history like she developed a lot of speed and like quick skills uh, because she would go to the adult section of her video store and grab DVDs quickly and then she also has a lot of kink skills so like she helps out in the fight against the god of by like tying its tongue with like rope because you know it's a thing uh, and then they have like Suisen who is her partner and he's like a narcissistic priest who's like just very vain and stuff which is very unpriestly so I mean there might be a team there about like you know these people who are like horrible end up being the survivors of this game where it's like they kind of are given a chance of redemption by using kind of the skills they develop in sin for the better good or the to help each other to help others and that could be a way that they grow uh, it's really hard to kind of assess what the team it's going for is but I feel like at least with Jingo's character it's kind of established in the first chapter that he feels like a sense of shame and regret about the ways of his life and then he's got this chance of redemption in this fight with this god of, and like helping out Moreau uh, and like being a partner to him and then also in the fight with this god of Mitsuko where he kind of has like this cool mode of like just gouging out the eyes of the head of the god that has the eyes so yeah that's basically kind of how it is so far Otherwise, it's like mostly a dead game where the setting, I wouldn't say is that interesting. It's just in a forest. The monsters are generally very creepy and there is some creepy body horror. But it's also very exploitative in terms of like how characters die. Like in the first chapter, like the girl is like crushed and we see like her eyes explode out of her body. And it's just like body like explode. It's like very grotesque, the gore in the series. And uh, I was a big fan of that. I will say it's like interesting the way the series uses color. It uses red a lot to, you know, color anything that's red, which usually is a lot of blood and gore. But it also is like the Tory gates, the shrine gates and the red parts of the rooster that runs the game and it's red is not the only team's color like when Murdo comes up with the plan to defeat the god his eyes turn green and that's in color and then when they defeat the god like he's crushed with gates that are blue so there's some thematic contrast between red and blue seemingly so i think the way it uses color is interesting and, and purposeful yeah but yeah it's just overall the series just appealed to me aesthetically with how its gore is drawn and then i just couldn't find too much to latch onto into as to what it's about or what's compelling about the characters to like make me want to continue reading more to see where their story goes i mean i think i am i, I get jingo and what what his character arc is supposed to be enough to like get sort of attached to him and i also like his design i also appreciate the fact that he's a very untraditional type of protagonist or at least he's not the protagonist you expect going to the series but then he becomes it so i like that aspect but like overall uh it didn't like really catch me uh and stand out to me compared to other dead game series that we've read on the show even Mm, I'm really thinking about this because when you really think about it, we've covered 
quite a few death game series through our Cyberpub episodes, weirdly. I, I think we've covered, like, what, four? Maybe three at least? Yeah, I, that sounds about right. There was Tokyo Death Game, which is another Mangama one. Um, there was, like... That one on uh, Manga Plus that I don't remember the name of. I feel like there was another one before that one that I'm not remembering. I feel like that, too. I think there was one more that I'm for- we're forgetting about. Yeah, but to be fair, a, a lot of these have kind of run together for me, honestly. Um, Even though they're different in setting, I, if I recall, it's just like just the general fact that they're deck game series that are predicated on like just having a bunch of characters die just in grotesque ways. The tone of all these feel the same to me is the thing. Yeah. Which is why they kind of run together for me. Even though I will give this series credit in how you brought up a lot of the stuff that I, I actually kind of like about the series so far. One being... When it came to, like, those two high school kids or whatever, and they were kind of having their stuff where it's like, oh, the guy protects the girl and he's supposed to be, like, kind of the sort of plucky protagonist that you kind of expect in a lot of these death game series or whatever. I really couldn't help but just kind of, like, roll my eyes a bit, like, not this shit again. I can't, I can't take it. I can't take any more death game manga. <laughs> I've had enough. Um, but then it turns out, like, they die, like, really quickly, and then it turns out, like, I, I like that turn that it's like, oh, this punk or whatever that was kind of, like, harassing the other girl, which, you know, that's not great, but that's his character, so, like, I'm not that surprised by it. But, you know, it's the kind of thing where it's like, Jinko is the character usually in these death game manga that you expect to be, like, the fodder that's immediately eradicated and killed in the first chapter, and then it turns out, oh, he actually is, like, the protagonist. That actually I wasn't expecting, so I the series fooled me there. I'll give it that. And honestly, like, if I weren't so tired of death game manga right now, and if it weren't for the fact that, like, tonally, this series is, again, like you said, very exploitative and very, like, just really kind of in your face with the gore and the violence. Again, it's a death game series. I kind of expect that at this point. But if it weren't for those things, you know, maybe I'd keep up with it. Like, I like that sort of misdirection. And I also, like you said, I really love the way that the series uses color because obviously it is a black and white comic, but like it uses enough color to like really emphasize certain moments and certain objects and stuff. Like I really love the way that's done. Those are the two things that make me want to keep like if gun to my head, if I had to pick one of these death game series that we've like spotlighted on the show over the past couple years or so. This is the one that I have, like, any kind of interest in maybe coming back to one day, honestly. But again, that's what I compare this to other Death Game series. If I, you know, if I were comparing this to, like, other manga I want to catch up to in general, this this would probably be kind of low on my list, honestly. Yeah, I think this was my least favorite, not just the manga mo titles, but of all the titles that we have read for this episode. That's fair, yeah. I would say that... I didn't hate it. There were things that I liked in it, but overall, it just did not come together for me as something that stood out in this kind of saturated genre of dead game titles. Um, I don't know. I definitely, out of all the Mangamo stuff, this is my least favorite. Out of everything we're covering this episode, I mean, I fell for Fujoshi's probably bottom just because, like, I haven't read enough of that yet. And I feel like I need to, like, read more of it. So th- this is probably, like, second bottom for me. But, like, I agree that, like, out of all of them, this is one that I'm not going to immediately come back to right away. But I-, I might be open to reading more of it one day. Maybe. Yeah. There's certainly a lot more of it 
that is on Mangamo available now. I think there's like 27 chapters. So there is a lot more we could have read. Uh, we, I just, we just didn't have time to read besides the first 10 chapters of each of these series. But I even if I had more time to read more, I don't know if I would have read much more because I wasn't getting that into it. I think there's like one hook at the end of chapter 10 where I was like, okay, I would like to maybe learn more about Jingo's past and his relationship with this new character. But otherwise, you know, I'm just not interested in the game because we just don't know the circumstances of it, what the point of it is. And the supporting characters so far just don't have a lot going on to them that is like super compelling or enduring. Yeah, I mean, look, if I'm being honest, the only reason I would consider maybe picking up more of this is the fact that Jingo is such an untraditional protagonist. That's like the one thing about the series that I find really, really interesting, and I really want to see what it does with that. But otherwise, yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't know what it is. Like, like you said, the monster designs, I think, are, God, they're so fucking creepy. Like, especially the, the one where it is, like, the person crawling, like, crab style, like, skittering around with, like, with, like, a mouth in their stomach. That scared the shit out of me, honestly. I was not a fan of yeah. that. Um, like, the monster designs are so creepy and grotesque that there's literally a warning at the beginning of every chapter which honestly that's fair i appreciate that um <laughs> yeah. and, and honestly like i don't know what it, I, I think the gore in this is a little too much for me mm-hmm. yeah same here like especially in the beginning where like they do kill off those first two high schoolers and like they kill off the girl first and like you just see her head like mid crush like her eyeballs just like popping out and squishing out like that was a bit much for me. The end of that one chapter where, like, they run into that one, like, Tory gate or whatever, and there's a pillar with a bunch of, like, blood and body parts with, like, all the heads, orifices, like, stitched up. Like, ugh, I don't know. Like, there's some, like, gory set pieces in here that, like, I, I think I, I think they're just too much for me. That's like the one other thing that keeps me from wanting to read more of this. Like, this is the kind of thing that I would really need to kind of prepare myself for more of. I, I can usually stomach a lot, but like this was a bit much for me. Yeah, I think that about sums it up for me as well. That does it for our manga mo titles, though. And next, we'll be getting into our newest simulpod from Crunchyroll. Crunchyroll, of course, lost a lot of simulpods recently with Kadansha kind of rescinding all their simulpods and discontinuing them for uh, until further notice. But they have a new manga simulpod that's kind of a tie-in for an anime that's currently airing. You know, so you can read the manga and watch the anime in Crunchyroll, kinda of the Great Snow Sea. The anime of this is like done by like Polygon. Uh, it's really cool looking, but the manga is no slouch either in the art department because it also has some pretty like kind of even though it's like minimalist because it's like taking place in like kind of this snow covered wasteland. Uh, it still has a lot of beauty to it, and certainly in the creature designs as well. But basically, it's about like kind of these human survivors in this world, like kind of that's you know being kind of frozen over, covered by. Now there are like some giant trees that are kind of like hubs for the few remaining like communities of people to like 
live in and at the beginning of the story we are led to think that like kind of our protagonist and his community are like kind of the only community remaining in the world because they've lost contact with other villages and in this world you know reading has become a lost art like just being able to read is like an important thing that's passed down from generation to generation and in the past like it was considered so important that people who could read were like called sages and stuff like that but basically, they've like kind of just lost contact with everyone. So I think they're the only ones left, and they don't know where to find like other spires. Uh, they don't know how to find other sources of information. So they kind of really cling to just like these signs that are just like <laughs> just these simple signs. They don't even know what it means, but just being able to read it is like you know gives the power. And they think that they were like prayers, like this sign that's like saying warning be careful of folly material was like a prayer that people spoke in the past so it's seemingly a post-apocalyptic world where a lot of previous history and culture has been lost, especially with the loss of people's ability to, to read and write but of course, kindness community is not the only community of people out there. There is also like other communities out there. There are like rival kingdoms. Uh, the leader of one of these kingdoms, Ririha, is like searching for more places uh, that had knowledge as well. And like her group is like attacked by a rival kingdom who wants to capture her. But her group ends up all being like killed off by this rival kingdom. But uh, she manages to survive and she kind of like floats towards an area where Kaina is able to find her. And that's kind of what happened in the, the first two chapters so far. Uh, it's apparently also an area where Kaina lives where he, he doesn't even know it. It's like called the Forest of Sages. It's like kind of like the biggest last reservoirs of like knowledge or like a, a supposedly a sacred ground where scholars are said to have been and Miraha was trying to find. But yeah, that's kind of the story so far. And it really is like so, it gives such Nausicaa vibes. Just this environment, this world where like people are like kind of locked off, separated from each other and just isolated communities and have to, to go out in the world they kind of have to wear like these like gas masks and uh they're like these giant bugs and creatures swarming about everywhere you know and they there's a lot of like air battle like in this case it's like more like a snow battle like they ride on these like interesting creatures that are like i don't know weird like the serpentine like kind of horses that like can swim through the snow or maybe like kind of dolphin like but then there's also like air ships that they fight on uh, or like heart weather balloons it has that kind of vibe that's very similar to Nausicaa to me, which is also kind of like an interesting kind of world for a fantasy adventure. So I'm certainly very keen to continue reading more of it and also probably check out the anime, which has probably read a lot more story at this point, but I have not got a chance to check it out much beyond just watching a bit of the first episode and the similar part of the story to compare. Yeah, I thought this was pretty interesting. I do like post-apocalyptic stories. I don't know if I've ever seen one. I mean, maybe they exist. I don't know. But I've never seen one where it's like, we live in like a world just entirely covered in snow. I don't know if I've ever like seen that before. So I thought that was interesting. And it's like, I, I really kind of want to explore this world. I want to see like, is this whole world like actually covered in snow? Like, are there other areas we can explore maybe? Like, I, I really wanted to explore more of this world. And I, I think that's the good mark of like a fantasy type series. And 
Yeah, again, not not a whole lot of story accomplished in chapters one and two, just kind of a lot of setup for the world and like I think a lot of setup for like maybe the journey that we're going to go on possibly. That's the sense I get anyway. But again, this is another one of those things where it's like, I don't have a whole lot to go off here, but like from the little I've read, I would like to read more. And I honestly forgot about the anime. Maybe I should check that out then because I, I really did like what I read of this and I would like to come back to the story eventually. Yeah, I think the anime looks really beautiful. You know, it's done by Polygon Pictures, and yeah, they may always do good work. I don't think, I forgot to even mention that. This is another Satomi Nihei series, so you know, if you're a big fan of his work, like, I really enjoy License of Sidonias, so I'm glad to kind of, he always makes really interesting worlds, and kind of is an exception. This Apossum's Knights of Sidonia, and like, all the way back to Blaine. Oh, this is Satomi Nihei, I guess I totally missed that. Okay, that's pretty cool. I still haven't read a whole lot of his works. I really want to get to blame at some point. I've heard very good things. Yeah, that's one of his most acclaimed ones for sure. Satomi Nihei is a person whose works we need to talk about at some point, I think. Yeah, no, I've enjoyed all the works of his that I've read, Sidonia in particular, so definitely would enjoy talking about it. Well, his works more on the show in the future. You should definitely take an episode to one of them. For sure. But that does it for our talks on Kaina for now. So now we'll move into the two Shueisha titles we got to talk about. One from, well, they're both Shonen Jump Plus titles, but uh, one is available just among the Plus, and then one is also available as Shonen Jump. So we'll start off with the title that's available on Manga Plus, and uh, this is taking us back into rom-com territory. This is Yume Ochi, Dreaming of Falling for You by Ryoma Kitada. And basically, this series is about this guy, Sutomu, who, you know, he is a heavy sleeper. He sleeps like half the day, 12 hours a day. Because of that, he feels like he's missed out on a lot of life experiences. But really, that is mostly a symptom of him just like really putting himself out there in his formative years. And still even now, he just really doesn't have a dream driving him. But ironically enough, he lives for his dreams. Because in his dreams, like he kind of gets lost in like his fantasies of like things that he wish he could do or like that he can't do. And you know, he is particularly unlucky in love or like not very skilled with love. Like, he totally blows it with this co-worker of his, his senpai at his, like, bookstore job, who, like, is clearly very into him, is giving him signals that she wants to spend the night home with him. But, like, he kind of misreads how to respond to that situation and think he's being polite by, like, offering to pay her fare home. But then she takes it, like, oh, him rejecting her. So he messes that up. But then, because she doesn't come to work the next day, and so he has to do, like, some work alone, he ends up, like, taking a box to a warehouse and discovering like this manga called dreaming of falling in love with you and it's like kind of ironic to his circumstances it's kind of for the looks of it like a classic looking shonen slash shoujo romance manga like something you'd see from 80s 90s and then he like starts reading it and it's like a story about the main character falls in love with a girl that he can only see in his dreams and so he like kind of laments oh man if only i hadn't slept my high school years away and he wishes he could live his life like the characters in this manga 
manga did and wouldn't you know it he in his dream wakes up as his high school self and he decides to do something differently than he did back then like he's reliving like an actual memory of his and he actually like holds the bust for this girl that originally he didn't and you know ends up forming a connection with this girl he like recognizes her as like oh this was the class rep back in the day and then starts to learn more about her that oh actually despite like kind of her meek demeanor and unassuming appearance she's actually a really skilled judo club Harris who like was called a king of judo because she like beat up all the members for a dojo when she was just a little girl I mean because of that she's like kind of developed like a complex of like standing out because of her judo skills and because she's so strong and was trying to just go to school like in this unassuming and kind of bookish appearance but then like after you know Satomu kind of finds this out about her and tells her that oh you seem like you're trying too hard like he's remembering his memories of her in the past of like noticing that about her says it out loud to her and this what he thinks is a dream and so decides to change like how she acts the next time he visits the dream like she has like kind of bleached her hair she's like no longer wearing like fake glasses she has like this very ornate butterfly pin and she starts to be a lot more outgoing and friendly towards him, a lot more extroverted than she was in real life in the in his dream. There's this situation where they encounter like these punks who are messing up a dojo. So she like kind of picks a fight with them, but like he covers first so she doesn't have to expose like her secret by like standing up to them. She ends up like beating them up anyway, but she really appreciated the gesture and also just really appreciated that he has helped her change from like kind of the unconfident person she had been. So like in this dream, like he's finding his way of like being able to express himself in a way he wasn't able to in high school, like, you know, put himself out there and form a close friendship with someone. And then Chi has also changed in this game. And it turns out that he's not just dreaming this dream alone. This girl, Age, has sharing this dream with him. Like, she is also dreaming the same dream and living out, like, reliving her past and her memories in the same dream like they're somehow like psychically linked in the same dream space and like they both end up like really looking forward to that and like in this dream space things continue to change between them and like you know Aga enjoys like teasing Satomu and Satobu like kind of decides to take her out on a date to kind of like get her back and like find situations to like kind of fluster her and they just end up having a really good time with each other and forming a close relationship of course like they think still it's oh it's just a dream and they kind of lament that when they wake up but then you know, because of a conversation they were having about, like, what they might be doing in the future, Ageha kind of realizes, wait a minute, you know, he said that he would be working, like, at a bookstore just nearby, like, when he graduated. So she gets to think maybe he actually did that. So she goes to visit him at the bookstore. That's kind of where the second chapter, what where we're at the story right now. So, yeah, I think that it's so far kind of a sweet series about, like, these people who have kind of regretting how they chose to live their high school years and not making the most of it. Regretting experiences they didn't get to have 
have and getting a second chance to be able to do things differently and in doing things differently like the most important thing to do differently is that they formed a really close relationship a friendship and also like romantic feelings uh, for someone else and though that memory is actually like you know as they call it it's a time sleep they're like literally seemingly transported back into their own past in this space that they're sharing this dream that they're sharing they're able to like kind of relive their past and learn things about each other in a way that they couldn't have like in their actual first time living through it so it's an interesting concept for sure and i'm liking the bond that satomu and ageha are forming i really like the second chapter where it's from ageha's perspective and it's her like teasing satomu and just having fun doing that and then going on this date together and just appreciating this experience that neither of them got to have because they both were just very alone and isolated in their first time around in high school so yeah i, I really am getting into it and i'm curious to see like how their past experiences are going to translate to change in their current life because it doesn't seem like these dreams can change their actual lives in the present but they get to relive their lives through their dreams and they can do things differently but these memories stick with them these dreams stick with them when they wake up so yeah it's, it's an interesting concept for sure yeah i definitely thought this was pretty interesting the only thing that i could think that i can't really like get out of my mind is that to me, this really feels like what if Tokyo Revengers were a rom-com, honestly? Because, you know, it, it's it's kind of that same idea where it's like, guy is very dissatisfied with how his life is currently going, definitely has regrets, but one day is able to, like, slip back in the time, go back to his youth, and maybe do things a little differently. Like, you might remember better than I do, it's been a while since I've read Tokyo Revengers, but doesn't Takemichi also, like, go back in time, like, via sleep? Was that how it worked? I don't remember. No, he has to hold the hands of Naoto. That's his name. Yeah, the brother. Yeah, that's that's it. He just holds his hand. Okay, yeah, you're you're right. You're right. I totally forgot about that. Well, okay, that that's the one difference then. But yeah, like I mean, aside from that aspect, the way you know the main character like goes back in time is almost very similar, or at the very least, like it's a very similar thing. The team behind it of like getting a chance to redo your life and have experiences you didn't do before and just live in a, a more fulfilling way, like kind of like having this regret that you can have a chance to ameliorate by getting a second chance in life. This was something that, like, I, I read a few days ago, I, I think before the second chapter came out, so I, I honestly forgot that chapter two came out, so I haven't had a chance to read that. But just from the first chapter alone, it's one of those things where it's like, I like the premise of this, and I would be interested in reading more if I had the chance. I feel like one thing that I was a little trepidatious about is that, you know, it does have a little bit of etchiness to it in the way that, you know, Agaha... His body is drawn, but like the sentiments of the story is very sweet. And I really appreciated the second chapter being from her perspective and like showing like her intentionally like teasing Satoma and like just, you know, having fun because like she thinks this is a consequence dream, a free dream, like just like kind of being a little provocative with him. So I think that's just 
nice to see her kind of explore herself and like you know find some catharsis in just being like flirty and proud of like being able to get a guy all hot and bothered through this like dream so i like that it's like even-handed and like focusing on both of their perspectives and like what they are getting out of the relationship and how they are helping each other through like their relationship and how that might translate now into them forming a relationship in the present time outside of the dream so yeah i mean i'm definitely keen to continue reading more i'm sure there's going to be like other characters getting involved there's definitely like more of a mystery behind like this manga why this manga is like a connection that they form with each other and of course it seems to be a mysterious manga because it's not they are getting out of the relationship and how they are helping each other and it's true, like, the relationship and the, how that might translate now into them forming a relationship in the present time outside of the dream. So, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely keen to continue reading more. I'm sure there's going to be, like, other characters getting involved. There's definitely, like, more of a mystery behind, like, this manga. Why this manga is, like, a connection that they form with each other. And, of course... There's, it seems to be a mysterious manga because it's not supposed to exist. It's not listed anywhere. So it's like there's mystery behind that. So yeah, it, it is very sweet and enjoyable so far. So yeah, I'm looking forward to falling deeper into this dream as uh, the story continues. But the final series we have to talk about is another Jojo Plus series. This one, of course, is also available on Viz. It's being simuled by Viz. And that is a Zhongxi X. And out of all the titles that we've talked about so far, this is the only really straightforward shonen battle action title, really, which is nice. But um, basically, the idea of this one is, well, the title might not give it away. Uh, this is kind of set in a world where like Zhongxi, kind of like these Chinese hopping vampire zombies, they are like a big threat in the world. There's like a bunch of like, specialized like Zhangji exorcist Daoshis who train to like kind of fight against and seal away the Zhangjis. And we focus on kind of a group of three kids, our protagonist Zhao, and then his kind of rival slash best friend Xiaoyun, and then their other friend T and Meijuli. And they basically at the beginning of the series are like kind of training in their village, Junjin village, to like be, you know, full fledged Daoshi after, you know, just being apprentices and they pass their exam and then they kind of start to go on like actual missions and there seems to be this like kind of conspiracy brewing of like this evil group of Daoshi who are going to probably eventually attack Zhenjin village at some point and seemingly kind of their efforts are starting to take fruit in some of the recent chapters where the characters have been asked to like guard this kind of tower where you know a bunch of like Shangji have been sealed away it's more of a tomb a multi-layer tomb and like the upper levels it seems that someone's been letting out and releasing higher tier Zhangji. Because Zhaji are graded in multiple levels. Like there's first tier and then there's like second tier and there's third tier. Um, And then so like, yeah, in the most recent chapters, like they had to fight against the second tier that somehow got released and now third tier. But 
basically, yeah, there's this conspiracy brew in the background of like these evil Daoshi who are like trying to attack this village of Daoshi. Um, they're seemingly letting loose the vampires of uh, some of the Zhangji. But yeah, I mean, in terms of the core relationship with the characters, Xiaoju is kind of the adopted son of the village chief. And so initially he's seen as like, being given like favoritism because oh he must have gotten special training from the chief the master monk but like no he just worked hard on his own to develop his skills so chaoyun eventually comes to learn that and comes to get over kind of his jealousy and then uh, i think julie kind of doesn't have too much to say with him he's just kind of like the smart one out of the group like he he knows a lot of things about like history or like just things that is going on he's also just an earnest friend but really it's like kind of the drivers of the plot are like Xiaohu and Xiaoyun it's like they also take the lead in the action too and then they also have like a very Kakashi like mentor as well who's supposed to lead them but he also kind of like fucks off in the the latest chapters and is like not around he's doing something else so you know not as reliable as Kakashi I will say there's probably stuff going on in the background that we just don't know yet yeah probably he has his own secret missions he's going to do so it's just out of the the story I told him but yeah I do like his like general kind of lazy but competent vibe so you know he he is a good design and personality congruent but like yeah he kind of just disappeared at the start of the third chapter so we haven't seen too much of him yet there's also we got introduced at like the end of the second chapter to like what are going to be the equivalent of like the Gotei 13 or the Hashira or whatever like the top tier Daoshi who are Shenzhen village we don't know much about them they're all being assembled because like of this big prophecy like the Tandi Poji is coming complete destruction of heaven in our design so yeah you know there's mystery brewing up there's things afoot in this world overall i think like the action i think there's some good moments i think in the first chapter is probably the strongest in terms of just the relationship tension between Zhao and Xiaoyun and how they have to like kind of help each other out of the seemingly desperate situation where it seems like you know they can either all pass or they can like all fail but like you know it seems like Xiaoyun has been poisoned by this Zhangxi and like they can either save him or they continue with the test and you know if they don't go on with the test there won't be a second chance for them to take this test and come down to so they'll never be able to do that but of course they choose their friend in the end so you you know that was a, a sweet moment and it turns out that was the real test all along anyway so that was a good kind of classic side story i mean it is very naruto this first exam that kakashi gives them kind of thing but you know yeah the series it's hard to escape the the naruto vibes because it just because it's a team of three with a mentor yeah this this whole thing gave me naruto vibes for sure yeah, yeah. and you know it's a remote village of like these special like operatives like the daoshi are like kind of more just chinese ninja in a way which is a specific target of like sealing away the Zhangji. And, you know, this villain group that we get teased, you know, they could be, the way they, the way they wear, like, are, are cloaked in back and they wear sun hats, you know, it's like, oh, these guys are like the Akatsuki, just in vibes. It's, uh, yeah, I definitely will say that Zhangji X is very similar to a lot of shonen battle manga you can draw a comparison to, but I do think it has some pretty strong and distinctive art. 
I think it has some decent action. I think that the main weakness is that I I don't think I really feel like the character of Xiao Hu, who is our protagonist, is like particularly compelling or endearing. I think that Xiao Yun is honestly has more personality, maybe because he has more of a chip on his shoulder. Like there's like kind of more drive there's more like something to connect to with him with like Shao, he's kind of just already very sure and confident of like what he wants to be doing like he has his like backstory about seeing his family slaughtered by Shanji and then having this debt to the master Daoshi who would then adopt him later and that's what motivates him to like want to be a strong Daoshi and whatnot but uh, I don't know he just doesn't have like it doesn't seem like he has much more to grow and i think that's kind of a problem with a shonen protector is like there's no area to grow it's not just an area of like strength but it's like in terms of emotional development or maturity or at least like if you're gonna have a pregnancy like that who's like already kind of like very competent and sure of themselves they kind of have to have like some other aspect of them that's like endearing but i just don't feel like um Zhaoshu has much of a personality other than like kind of the very straightforward determined shonen lead and uh, that's a weakness hopefully we'll maybe get to a point in the series where like you know maybe for a while he'll like win most of his fights like mostly pretty easily but then we'll kind of get to that moment where like he loses so bad that like that's when he'll have to start experiencing like more growth not just like you know physically or strength wise but like as a character yeah but i also hope it's like general personality is also fleshed out a little more because yeah right now like there's just really little i can say about him other than like what his backstory is and other than the fact that oh he's just determined to be a really strong daoshi so that's like kind of experiences like what happened to him don't happen again you can kind of honor the you know master daoshi you took him in and it's like you know he's a good person at heart he, he was willing to give on that to like save chow yun without even really thinking about it so yeah I just don't feel like he has a very expressive personality, so he's not super interesting to me as a lead character. I could see that. Um, he's too serious. I think that's another thing. So I like when our protagonists can have a little more of a sense of humor to them or just have a bit of goofiness to them. Or if they are like super serious, like that seriousness is so over the top, it turns around to being funny. But I don't think it, that's really what they're going for with his character. No, I agree. My thing with this series so far is that, and I mean, we, we were kind of bringing it up earlier with the comparisons to Naruto. I think I feel the same way about the series the way you did when we covered Fabricate 100 in our last Cyberpubs episode. Mm-hmm. Like, John Chi X is good, but it also doesn't like terribly stand out to me as the thing. Mm -hmm. I I guess outside of like its art because I do think its art is distinctive enough like there were some parts when I was reading the first few chapters of this where I kind of felt like oh this panel right here kind of reminds me of something out of such and such series or whatever or the art kind of reminds me of this but like you know aside from those few moments like I do think its art at least and its action like kind of stand out enough but outside of that yeah like we said before like I I couldn't help but like keep thinking of Naruto like the whole time I was reading this because you know it's, it's not like completely the same thing but there are like a lot of big similarities um it has a lot of that energy to it but yeah i don't know like and you know like like i said the art's very good i think some of my favorite art moments have been like a lot of the like single page spreads like i really like the moment where they're all in like the catacombs or temple or whatever you want to call it but basically where they're keeping all the like other shanshi that they've sealed away and uh, one of them escapes and then it like puts out all the candles and then one of them like turns on a candle and it's just this big 
single page spread of like the Jean Chi scurrying around ends up like behind them or whatever. It's supposed to be like this big reveal. I thought that was pretty creepy. Mm, yeah. But yeah, otherwise, like I said, this is good. I like it. I'm open to reading more of it. But like I said, it's uh, other than it being a manga about Jean Chi, which you know, I'm not going to say there aren't other manga about that kind of thing, because there clearly are. And I'm pretty sure we've, like, reported on one or two of those kinds of titles before. You know, they've been featured in, like, manga that we've read. Like, they feature in um, Undead Unluck and Shaman King, stuff like that. Yeah, so, you know, it's, it's not a totally new concept for manga, admittedly, but I don't know, like... Again, it's it's good. It's just it just doesn't have like the thing that like makes me think, oh, this is Jean Chi X. Like you know what I mean? Yeah, I totally like I think that, you know, Jean Chi are a very specific type of monster, but in function in this series, you know, they're not that this series is not that different from other like exorcist type manga, but with like kind of a setting in structure like Naruto. So it's, yeah, it's just, even though it has the elements to carve its own like kind of unique identity, I think it practices it's like playing itself just very straightforwardly as a shonen manga in a way that is just not really standing out that much right now. It's, it's enjoyable enough to read. And I do think the art is often, you know, very impressive, especially John, the Jean-Gi designs that can be often really creepy. But yeah, it's just, I just have not found something that really sets it apart and really makes you feel like, okay, this is what this series is about. This is what makes it special. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. C- cannot stress this enough. Still, still pretty good, though. No, no. I mean, definitely it is a good read if you're, you know, just interested in a more Chinese-inspired uh, shonen fantasy action title. If you like Zhongji as, like, a premise, as a, a type of monster, like, there are definitely some interesting lore and playful and creative designs for them. I think that it's perfectly enjoyable if you're a shonen action fan, because there are some good action beats and moments but i think that yeah it's still one that left me feeling wanting for like just a little more from the characters maybe it'll find that maybe it'll find like what its unique voice is but right now it's feeling a little too similar to other things in my mind yeah for sure one thing real quick before we probably wrap up soon that i will give credit where credit's due though because i'm I'm not i don't think we mentioned this yet the first chapter is 90 pages long which You know, I knew that going into this, so at first I was like, oh man, this is going to be a long read. I feel like time really flew by. Like, the pacing of that first chapter weirdly didn't feel very long to me. Like, honestly, there was a point where I was reading and I was like, oh, I'm already like 50 pages in. Like, I felt like even though the first chapter was like, I'm going to say like pretty much maybe half a volume of content at most, like, I never felt like it like dragged its feet at all. Like I, I felt like the pace was actually pretty brisk. I would agree. It felt like a well-paced and complete story. And yeah, I mean, shout out to the work of the localization team for having to do a 90-page chapter. And from what I understand, basically a week. Like uh, we had some seat behind the scenes that, you know, they did not have a ton of like lead time to get this done. I think Oof. that Aiden was talking about us as uh, he's friends with Arbosh, so who is the letter on this title? So yeah, but um, yeah, I mean it's a very well done localization, very good translation, yep. and great lettering. So you know they did a fantastic job under like an extremely heavy workload and like a very tight deadline circumstance. So kudos to them. 
And uh, thankfully, the subsequent chapters have been getting less and less long as it goes on to more reasonable lengths. Uh, I would hope so. Yeah, because I think chapter four was like 19 pages, like the normal length for like a weekly comic. It's ended up dwindling down that way, just slowly over time, a couple less pages every chapter. So now I think it's like finding uh, just a nice 19 page, like normal groove. Mm -hmm. I mean, honestly, those first three chapters could just be like the first volume. Yeah, I think that would about work out in terms of page count. But yeah, um, like we said, overall, even if it doesn't totally stand out from other shonen manga, it's still pretty good. I enjoyed it. I would be interested in keeping up with it. You know, I know the one thing that's that's setting this manga apart now. It's the cat mascot, the little <laughs> tiger cat mascot, Heihu. It is adorable. I would buy a plushie of that. You know, if this series becomes successful, I can imagine a little cat being very, very popular, very, very merchandisable. So more Heihu, more Heihu content. <laughs> I'll lean into that. That's that's the thing that'll set you out. Mm-hmm. I can get behind that. But yeah, uh, I think that's about it for all the uh, titles we have to talk about for this episode. And obviously, we'll leave links in the show notes for, you know, where you could check out all of these titles if there's a particular one that maybe you were listening to us talk about and you're like, you know, I kind of want to read that. Well, we'll leave links in the show notes for where you can... Uh, you know, read all these titles. And yeah, I think overall, while I wasn't totally like into all of them, I enjoyed at least, I'm going to say like 90% of them. Yes, I think that Matt just about works out. We had like nine titles, so I really only disliked one. I mean, I didn't even dislike it that much. I just wasn't that impressed. But yeah, I think overall, generally, there were some pretty enjoyable titles, or at least titles I really enjoyed reading in the case of the, the stepsister one. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I found a lot of series that I wanted to continue reading and keeping up with, and uh, I really enjoyed. So I thought this was a very, very successful batch uh, for a Cyberpunk slash new series roundup. And I really appreciated, again, that we we're able to talk about a variety of series from different platforms of publishers. Because usually, we don't usually have just like Manga Plus and Shonen Jump and maybe sometimes we get a straight title from like one of the other platforms. But here we had like a nice representation across a lot of different ones. So I really liked being able to talk about a variety of different titles. Mm -hmm. Also, to put it on your 2023 bingo card. The Mavericks actually want to re actually want to keep reading a stepsister manga. <laughs> No, I certainly didn't expect it. So there no, you go. There me neither. No. <laughs> God. Twenty twenty three has been a very crazy year and we're not even three months in. Um yeah, I, that's really about it for the show. Um I guess I'm, we're going to get to it eventually, but we keep running into this problem where we talk too long and then we don't have time for community shout outs. And for those of you who really enjoy those, um, we really like to apologize. It's been kind of hard to get to those lately, but we'll we'll get to them eventually. Eventually, we will record a podcast under three hours again and we will have time because I've definitely been accumulating them uh, and it's growing a long list. So uh, it'll be one that I'll have to curate, but I would like to spotlight and mention as many as possible. So yeah, hopefully we'll be able to resume them in future episodes. But until then, we'll continue to like kind of shout out and retweet and share stuff we enjoy, like off cross our Twitter feeds and stuff. So you can follow us there to look out for more of that stuff as well as look out for more of our stuff. And I think that's a, just a good transition to let the folks know where you can find us. 
one more time because this is going to be the last episode we could say this. Take our survey. Yes, and absolutely. We would really appreciate having your feedback and letting us know what you really enjoyed about the show last year and what you really enjoy seeing from the show this year. And again, taking the survey enters you into our free manga giveaway. And we have a ton of really cool manga to give out if you win the giveaway. So, you know, an additional incentive is there. But really, you know, your feedback would be just really appreciated because we always enjoy hearing your guys' thoughts on what you like about the show and what we're doing right and what we could improve on. And it really helps us make the show better because we want to make the show as best as possible for our listeners and, you know, just for us too because you know we want to make this something that you know our listeners really enjoy and that we really enjoy so your feedback really helps us accomplish that Mm -hmm. we're always striving to be better yeah absolutely just like a shonen protagonist you know we always just have to keep outdoing ourselves getting better and better stronger and stronger and there's no limit there's no ceiling to the heights we can reach but we need your help to do it Exactly. We need the help of you, our friends, to get us along the journey. Your comments are like energy for our our spirit bomb that we can just grow and grow and grow. All right. But yes, that is going to be about it for the episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. But yes, now we can get into our plugs and basically tell you guys where you can find us in the show. And Lum, why don't we start with you? Where can the people find you? You can find me at Lumromiyasha on Twitter. And it's Lumromiyasha at a variety of places like Animation Revelation, Amulist, Letterboxd. Wherever there's a Lumromiyasha, that's where you can find me. You can also find my work on MangaRars.com, the reviews I write, interviews I'm doing, as well as the other podcasts that I do, Lum Squad, the Yurisuyatsu Vokipasuka, where we discuss the wonderful Aki world of Fukuhara Hakahashi's classic series. We have a lot of fun discussing the manga, which as of the time of your listening to this had will have just have finished publishing the final volume biz will have finally completed publishing the series which is really exciting and you know we're still have the ongoing reboot anime to talk about which has been really exciting and we are so looking forward to being able to revisit the classic series when the first blu-ray for that hits shelves from discotech this April, it's a really exciting and fun time to be a Yurisiyatsu fan. There's a ton going on, ton of releases, ton of things to talk about. And AC and I are having a lot of fun talking about it. And I'm hoping to get some new episodes out to you all soon because there's a lot to catch up on and a lot more to talk about. So you can find Lum Squad at Lum underscore Squad. You can find us on YouTube by searching for us on the channel blog. And we are on every podcast feed you could probably think of like apple podcast probably stitcher anchor where we can get your podcasts we're probably on there and we also cross post our episodes in the manga arts feed and post episodes early oftentimes much early on the manga arts patreon and if you like the art i make the illustrations the thumbnails i draw for our podcast or the animations and illustrations i do in general you can find that stuff on my instagram at sidartworks all right, but as for me, I'm Colty. You could find me on Twitter at SniperKing323. I also host and produce a lot of my own other podcasts outside of Manga Mavericks that you can find links to over at my personal blog at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. Over there, if you click on the podcast page, you can check out literally anything else I'm doing, even stuff that I'm not doing anymore, and even a bunch of guest spots that I've done for other podcasts over the years that I've been doing this. So once again, if you want to check out any of my other stuff or basically any other projects that I'm involved in, again, coltoncorner.wordpress.com and go check out all my stuff. 
But as for this podcast, you can find every episode at mangamavericks.com. That's where we post every episode first, unless you're a patron of ours at patreon.com slash mavericks, where at the $2 tier, you will have access to select episodes of the podcast, depending on when we have them edited. Basically, if we happen to have an episode of the podcast that is edited before it's supposed to go up on our main feed, we will put it up on the Patreon at our $2 tier for patrons to listen to before anyone else. But that also depends on what we have done at any given time and our scheduling and all that kind of stuff. So admittedly, if you want more reliable content, you really should subscribe to our $5 tier where you get a new bonus podcast at the end of every month guaranteed. This month, however, you can actually access our newest bonus podcast for just a dollar because we recently uploaded our annual Shonen Jump retrospective where every year we talk with our good friend Maxi Bernard of Friendship Ever Victory about basically the last year's worth of Shonen Jump manga. We do our best to go over the entire roster, basically everything that at least one of us is reading. Uh, It's always a good time no matter how long each raw recording ends up being. And yeah, if you want to hear our thoughts on this last year's worth of Shonen Jump manga and everything in the magazine right now, please go listen to that. Once again, those podcasts in particular are always up for as low as a dollar because we basically want to upload those as cheap as possible as sort of a thanks to all of our patrons who have been supporting us, you know, over the years that we've been on our Patreon. But once again, patreon.com slash mavericks if you want to listen to that and all of our wonderful bonus content that we've uploaded over the years. And really, it's the best way for you guys to support everything we're doing here on Manga Mavericks. Honestly, every dollar that we make through our Patreon goes back to the podcast in some way, shape, or form, whether it be website hosting, podcast hosting, materials for the show, anything involving the show, that's basically where our money goes. So if you really want to support us in the best way possible, go to patreon.com slash mavericks and please sign up if you so wish. But as for everything else, you could follow us on Twitter at manga underscore mavericks or on Tumblr at mangamavericks.tumblr.com for all the latest updates on the podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash mavericks. We're over there. We post different excerpts of our podcast, including some exclusive content every once in a while. Again, youtube.com slash mavericks. Please subscribe to us. Email us anything at mavericks at gmail.com. Do you have any thoughts on any of the pops we covered on this episode? Are you reading any manga that you want to tell us about and maybe have us cover it on the show? Again, email us anything about manga or the podcast or really anything. We'd love getting emails from you guys because when you send us an email, we'll read it on the show. So once again, mangamavericks at gmail.com. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on so many different platforms at this point, but especially on platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you do this kind of thing. If you leave us a rating and a review, it really helps the visibility of our show. And just in general, we love getting feedback from you guys, whether it be positive or negative, because we want to use that feedback to make the show as best as possible. All right, but that's basically going to about do it for this episode. Once again, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Manga Mavericks. This has been episode 224, and we'll see you guys next time for episode 225. Bye, guys. Sayonara! Sayonara!